This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is sponsored by Hopshop Aberdeen. Hopshop Aberdeen are a local AFC supporting business with a passion for bringing you the finest in craft beer. With an extensive range of over 500 individual products sourced from the finest breweries and as an official beer hawk stockist for your perfect draft kegs, make Hopshop Aberdeen your first stop. Shop in store at the West Hill service station on Strake Road or hit them up online at hopshopaberdeen.com. With fast local delivery and next day UK delivery, you won't have to wait long to crack open a cold one to toast another Don's victory. Maybe. It's Wednesday, and you know what that means. Welcome to episode 32 of the ABZ Football Podcast. I'm Gary Scott. Joining me this week, as always, it's Gavin Baxter and Graham Steele. Gents, how's it going? Fine, thank you. Good, thank you. For the first time in the season since heckin' the opening game, I have notes. I have notes for today's podcast, taking on my Aberdeen <laughs> emblazoned notebook here. Why is the logo on every single page? I don't know. It's really, really annoying. I don't know why they've done that. Fucking love stationery, and yet this is really bothering me. But yeah, there are notes here, as you can see. Looking forward to uh, dissecting the first of many games in the Jim Goodwin regime. Is there any wonder Gavin's been described this week as the poshine on this podcast? Again, how that's the takeaway from the dour one who sounds like he's close to suicide, I don't know. <laughs> there we go. So where does that leave me then? in a week that saw Dundee out cinch the cinch by sacking a manager who just won two games on the spin to then rapidly employ Mark McGee the Dons rapidly cool on the Jack Ross project and instead make Jim Goodwin the 24th or 25th permanent manager of the club depending on your view of Paul Hegarty it's another busy episode of the ABZ FP as we cast our eye over Goodwin's debut in charge of the side in the lackluster draw at Fir Park. We're going to take a deeper dive into the appointment of Jim Goodwin alongside St Mirren fan Kenny Leckie to get a proper feel for what we can expect under the Irishman. And with no women's match this week, we'll take our regular look over the young team and our loanies and loan watch. And we look ahead to next week's Fergie homecoming as Dundee United visit Pataudry looking to spoil the home debut of Jim Goodwin on the day that Sir Alex Ferguson returns to Aberdeen. And after the break, our series of interviews with Don's personalities of past and present makes a welcome return. This week, it's part one of a two-parter with a man who joined Aberdeen initially on loan in January 2012, going on to make 237 appearances, scoring seven goals in red, placing him 63rd on the all-time AFC appearance list, tied with AFC Hall of Famer Peter Weir. He's a 2014 League Cup winner. It's Mark Reynolds. Now, before we get on to the review of the game yesterday, we just touched on the Mark McGee appointment at Dundee. I just want to ask, have you guys seen the video of his first like press conference? Of course I have. How amazing is that? Can you just put into words how good that video is? He has not changed. <laughs> at all just bluster and bullshit and 
Ah, unbelievable. When he's rattling off how he knows there's nothing you could not tell me about that group of players. And then the next question is, are you going to change the captain? Uh, I don't actually know who the captain is. Is it Charlie? Is it Charlie? He's a fucking idiot. And I just want to point out for the voice of the day, I saw some people talk about this during the week. Mark McGee, an absolute legend of a player at Aberdeen Football Club, that will never go away. But as a manager, and I'm afraid to say, as a man, an absolute fud. I mean, it pays to have friends in high places. That's all I'll say on that one. It's the biggest favour Gordon Strachan's done for Mark McGee since he paid half a million quid to buy Lee Miller, who was six months away from leaving on a free transfer. Unbelievable stuff. Anyway, let's move on to a game between two of Mark McGee's former clubs. Model 1, Aberdeen 1, Saturday the 19th of February, 2022, Fir Park, the SPFL Premiership. And after a whirlwind week that culminated in the breaking news from AB24, just after 8am on Saturday, that Jim Gooden had been appointed as the new manager of the club, and the Fir Park pitch passing a 10am pitch inspection, the Dons returned to the scene of the crime just seven days after the meekest of Scottish Cup exits that saw the end of the Stephen Glass era. Jim Goodwin making the bold call to be ensconced in the dugout for this one, and his first Aberdeen team sheet saw three changes from the side that was named by Barry Robson in the one-all draw with St Johnston on Tuesday night. Vicente Bajawin, Adam Montgomery and Ross McCrory all returning to the starting lineup in place of Jack McKenzie. Matty Kennedy and the injured Scott Brown. Scott Brown spotted in the director's box alongside Dave Cormack as speculation continued to mount on Saturday about Brown's future. And the visitors made a bright start in their new look 4-3-3 formation. A free kick from Ferguson in the opening minute had Kelly scrambling to tip past the post. And shortly after, a Calvin Ramsey header from a Johnny Hayes cross was easily held by Kelly. The Dons were noticeably getting the ball moved upfield quicker than in recent weeks and being aggressive in physical confrontations with a Motherwell side who'd bullied the same team just a week ago. The Dons handling a set of corners and free kicks well, restricting the home side to a number of long-range efforts. A through ball from O'Hara, though, sent Van Veen off, but Lewis smothered well in the Dutchman's attempts to hurdle Big Joe. It looked as though he landed pretty badly on his shoulder, but unfortunately, the big dickhead managed to get back up despite being visibly <laughs> discomforted. And Aberdeen thought they had the lead on 30 minutes. A lovely ball from Barron floated into the box. Ramirez making a good run across and the ball eventually nestled in the far corner of Kelly's net. The main linesman flagging for offside, even though it wasn't clear if Ramirez had even touched the ball. And more importantly, if he was even offside to begin with. The Dons did score though just four minutes later. A lovely dink ball by Bates into the path of Montgomery who outpaced McGabby and squared the ball for Bajowin, who had a gaping net to finish into and grab his first goal for Aberdeen since his move from Den Haag in January. And as the first half drifted into injury time, a 50-50 challenge between Hayes and O'Hara sparked a melee, McGabby appearing to slap Hayes on the head, which was pretty funny, actually. Whilst Irishman lay prone on the ground, eventually yellow cards issued to Gallagher and McGabby, before Van Veen then smacked the inside of the post from a free kick that referee Nick Walsh had played an advantage for previously. After the break, the home side started the second half the brightest, Van Veen turning Gallagher and his short was well dealt with by Lewis at his near post. Before the equaliser arrived, substitute Woolery spun away from Hayes and his shot was deflected off base before falling at the feet of Van Veen, who nudged Declan Gallagher out of the challenge far too easily. And although Lewis saved his effort well, the ball fell for O'Hara to slip home into an empty net. Connor McLennan became the first substitute of the Jim Goodwin era, replacing Adam Montgomery on 70 minutes. 
But the game then descended into a pretty turgid affair. Motherwell will probably looking the more threatening as the game petered out. Goodwin makes it three draws out of three for him with Motherwell this season as Aberdeen avoid defeat against the Steelmen for the first time this campaign. Eighth place for the Dons, still just three points off of fourth spot and a European place. Gents, your thoughts on that one? Oh, it's a point, so that's an improvement. There's not really much you can take from that. I mean, it's impossible that the new manager has had any chance to do anything other than maybe a quick catch up with the players. So, um, yeah, I don't know if it, jokes aside, it is an improved result versus what we've had against Motherwell this season. So that that's encouraging. You kind of wonder where that maybe was the other cracks of the book we had, but, but never mind. Um, yeah, it's better than it was, but I don't really think we can really take much out of that in terms of this is the beginning of a, a new era or anything like that. It's just a slightly better performance than we've had against Motherwell in the past. Allow me to consult my Aberdeen notebook. <laughs> so, I really uh, want, you know, like that one where Homer goes back to college and Marge drops him off. He's like, nerd! I really want that. <laughs> if you can splice that in somehow and avoid copyright or whatever, then you'd be my hero. Well, that is the issue. But I mean, did the people at Fox... Is that who made the, the Simpsons? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Fox. I don't. I don't think anyone from the Disney Corporation listens to the ABZ. Oh, Disney own it now, don't they? Yeah. If I'm wrong, then we're 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 skinned. I don't know. We're we're pretty big in the United Arab Emirates, as it turns out. So you don't know. So what you're saying is still you'll cover the uh, you'll cover the fine, right? Good to know. Um. So what I've got written here. Um. Yeah. Positive. It was a point. So we're we've got a point on the board against Motherwell this season. Yeah. Yeah. Which is progress. Uh. Jim Goodwin zero wins, zero losses, one draw. That's his record. Yep, a, a draw percentage of 100%. Absolutely. <laughs> Inspiring stuff. A loss percentage of zero. Fantastic. A, a win percentage of zero as well, but never mind. Let's well, you know, that's, that's a half glass empty kind of attitude. Um, Ross McCrory, Connor Barron, the standout players for me in a red oh. shirt. Um, obviously, as you say, it was were very direct for the most part, stood up to the challenge of Motherwell um, in terms of their physicality. Um, same old story as the season no real service to Ramirez I can't think of him having even really a shot at goal or anything no. <clears throat> um, when Van Veen gets goes down with the shoulder injury and carries on playing with that thing dangling from his, from his body why did no you're talking about our, his shoulder I take it yeah I'm talking about his right arm yes nothing <laughs> else uh, why did none of our players I'm not even saying make like foul and why did no one just make, get, make contact and make the game really uncomfortable I mean, clearly, clearly they didn't have any other option because otherwise they would have brought him off because you could see the visible pain he was in. Why did no one just get close, you know, give him some nudges, just make it really uncomfortable? And lastly, final point, Declan Gallagher at center back for Aberdeen. <laughs> when will it end? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it's not far from the truth. He was really, really bad yesterday. Um you're right, absolutely right about the Van Veen thing. Like, why in that scenario there? No one is just... It wasn't even like he was hiding the fact that he was injured. I mean, he was he was basically running at one point in the second half with his left arm, like, pumping like you normally would for running. And his right arm was just hammering limp by his side. It's like, guys, when there's, like, a, a, a high ball coming in towards him here, why is nobody just, like, levering off on that shoulder, make this as uncomfortable as it possibly can be for this absolute preening dickhead? Like I just don't understand it. It just shows that real level of like naivety. It's the same as what happened. It's not the same as what happened, but it's similar to what happened last week in the cup game where he was a walking red card 
And all it took was for somebody to like leave their boot in after making a pass or something or go down dramatically holding their head after an aerial challenge and the guy was going to be sent off. And we're just so, like, I don't know, naive or too nice, maybe. I don't understand, which I don't understand from Declan Gallagher, given, well, his previous, but we don't have to go there. Um, maybe that might be something that we do see coming out of Jim Goodwin. Um, we'll touch on it with um, Kenny shortly, but... I think Jim Goodwin will look to try and instill a little bit of Jim Goodwin, the player, into some of our players uh, going forward. And maybe that might see us be a little bit less nice. Absolutely. Don't think that's a bad thing. Hopefully that's something we see. Well, I think if everyone else is doing it, you can debate whether it's right or wrong and is it in the spirit of the game. If everyone else is doing it, then you're you're just chumps for not getting involved as well. Because all you're doing, you know, if every time the opposition, you're bit, or if you're building up a bit of a head of steam or whatever, and they just take it out, but you then allow them to build up some momentum because you don't want to do that, then all you're doing is just inviting pressure. So you feel like you've just got to play everyone at their own game. And sadly, that seems to be almost as important a part of the modern game as getting the right players in the right positions. And I agree, for a long time, it's not a Stephen Glass criticism, I feel like for a long time we've been nice, naive, stupid. I don't know what the right word is, but we definitely don't seem to be very good at that side of the game versus the opposition. Even out with the Van Veen situation, there's a moment in the early in the second half when Hayes is going down the line, yeah, runs yeah. past Mugabe, who makes a really wild lunge at him. At, even without contact, if Hayes goes down... It's a yellow, it's, he's off. I know. Gives the referee a, a real decision to make, and yeah, it's probably... I mean, maybe it's yellow, I'm not really quite sure what Nick Walsh was thinking yesterday, because he obviously decided that slapping a guy in the head didn't count as a yellow card, but... Uh, yeah, it's just, yeah, naivety and something that's just surprising, yeah, when you think of some of the personnel we've got. But, hey, that's where we are. Even more surprising for me with this naivety we still display is the fact that we've played in European football now for, what is it, coming on eight years on the trot? Seven, eight years, yeah. You know, that you would have thought by now we would have learned some of the dark arts from some of the teams we've played in Europe um, who know how to be cynical, who know how to play the game within the boundaries of the laws but pushing those laws to the furthest, furthest extent possible. We're, we're so naive with it. And Graham, you touched on it a minute ago. I mean, I, I don't think we can read too much into yesterday in terms of the influence of Jim Goodwin on yesterday's performance. He, he said that I think he got 15 minutes with the team at the hotel on Friday night when they arrived and he had another 15 minutes with them on Saturday morning after it had all been confirmed. But that was it. So there was clearly you know, no opportunity for him or a new assistant manager, Lee Sharp, who, by the way, is just like a mini-me version of League of Jim Goodwin, and which is quite funny, or it tickled me anyway, because there was not much else to tickle me yesterday during the game. Um, but we were noticeably, I felt, more up for the battle, certainly for like 70 minutes yesterday. Um, I was in the middle of tweeting something at the time about how we'd stood up to the challenge quite well today and the physical nature of it, and then... Get Gallagher got ragdolled by Van Veen for the goal, so I had to swiftly delete that one. Um, and we were noticeably quicker in terms of getting the ball at the park. Uh, I don't know if I'd say direct, but we were certainly happier to put balls in the channels rather than endlessly passing through the midfield. Interesting to know if that was Goodwin's influence or if that was something that Barry Robson had been working with them on as well in the run-up. I mean, we didn't even we didn't even train, I don't believe, on Friday because obviously the snow issue here. So it feels more likely to be Robson doesn't it, just because that kind of describes a little bit again about what we saw against Johnston where he had yeah, yeah. Robson's first game. So, uh, yeah, all I would say maybe on the 
but the players weren't getting bullied the same way. Although I, I cannot, I, it's not possible Goodwin had any sort of influence on the game just because he had zero time. Some of these players know that they're effectively auditioning now. Some of these guys are going to play every week and they'll know yep. that and Goodwin will know that these guys are, like Ramirez, I imagine Goodwin is going to know who he is and say like, he's the only striker he's playing every week. But some of these other guys, it's probably a, almost like a, a clean slate or a, a rocket that, right, yeah, okay, I might not actually get a game every week. So maybe that's what you saw in terms of people being up for the, the fight a little bit more. And I don't, I don't mean that as in they weren't fighting for Stephen Glass and stuff, because I don't think that was the case. You know, the results were just not good enough for many reasons. I don't personally think it's that the players are down tools, especially not if you believe any of the press reports that he got a stay of execution because the players intervened um, on his behalf. Yeah. So, but what I would say is I absolutely would expect to see that fight and desire being more of the norm going forward or people won't last because we can get on to later how we think we're going to play. I think what we can all agree on is he's not going to accept maybe some of the players disappearing the way they have done um, this season to date. It's encouraging, isn't it? The way that he spoke prior to the game, and I think the question was put to him about whether he had any consideration to maybe just letting Robson and co take the game and him sitting in the stand as an interested spectator. And he made it clear that one of the driving forces behind getting the deal done when it was done was he wanted to be in the dugout Yeah, on Saturday. He didn't want to effectively, I guess, pass the buck almost. Seems like he wants to try and galvanize this all. It's almost one for all and all for one kind of spirit, which when I think of the better Aberdeen teams I've known in the last 20 years, that's the spirit within the team has been has been very, very good. And so yeah, he like to think that he's gonna make a big point of harnessing, you know, that spirit within the team. And when you get that, you've got players who are more willing to fight for one another. Absolutely. And you're right, Graham, as well. He touched, I don't know if you've heard his post-match interview as well. He he basically said that he was like, I'm judging everybody at this club now. Players, staff, everybody around what they're gonna bring. He wants to see the guys that are gonna that want to be here, etc. Cetera, et cetera. And you're absolutely right. I think Gav, I think we touched on it on the uh, the short pod we did on Saturday morning after about the fact that there are a number of guys who are out of contract in the summer now who potentially were heading towards the exit door um, under the previous manager who now suddenly have potentially an opportunity to convince a new manager to to to, to offer them a new deal. So it, it maybe does work out in our favour a little bit that we've done the process as quick as we have because you've got guys trying to impress the new manager straight away. It's not a case of, you know, waiting until the summer and bringing someone in and they kind of have the same scenario to an extent that Stephen Glass had last year, where basically so many guys were out of contract and most of them had already decided they were going to go and they weren't going to hang around. So that might be a positive. Certainly, I did think we were, like I say, more willing to step up to the physical challenge yesterday, which was encouraging. Um, just disappointing that we we lose out from being bullied a little bit towards the uh, towards the back end of the game. The the goal from uh, O'Hara is just is, is, is just horrendous defending from from Declan Gallagher, but a very typical goal that we've kind of conceded all season as well. Yeah, very avoidable. Um, same story as St Johnston on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Jim Goodwin in his post match said that he will spend time on the training ground, and I think his I think his exact words were that'll be sorted within a week or so. Yeah, he said that. seems like a, yeah. a very ambitious thing to say when your defenders are, well... Not very good at defending. 
Well, when when you're when you've got a team who've kept what like five clean sheets in a year or something like that, so um, he obviously sees something. Um, I think right now we're so limited in terms of defensive options. Declan Gallagher will probably continue playing. I wonder if he might look at it and say until the end of the season, maybe let's get Ross McCrory back in there with the long-term view of Ross McCrory playing center midfield, but just yeah, to have someone decent yeah. in there, maybe get him back in and get Scott Brown or, or Dylan McGeek in there into center midfield. Yeah, I, I, I probably don't disagree too much on that. I don't think, Gav. I guess it probably depends on how... Well, it, it all depends, I guess, first of all, on the Scott Brown situation, where he ends up, what happens there, how quickly also he comes back from... Uh, from injury, whether he goes straight into the team, whether he does make the move, the call to move McCrory back and take Gallagher out the firing line again, I don't know. It's an interesting one because he was very obviously very clear about wanting to put McCrory in to the centre of the park, or whether that was Robson's call. Who knows? Let's give Goodwin the benefit of the doubt that it was McCrory, that it was his shout on this one here. Um, it feels like an opportune time to talk about top dons. You've already touched on the fact you thought McCrory bad, and I completely agree with you there. I thought McCrory was excellent in the centre of the park, just showed us what we've kind of been missing. Um, for a while and that needs to be caveated with I think the, the general consensus from the three of us has been he's actually done a very good job at centre half in the main this season but Saturday did show what Ross McCrory can do in the centre of the park Yeah I think he has filled in reasonably well in fact probably rather well actually is a bit, bit fairer than reasonably well but even just um, sort of those glimpses was it Celtic where he got shifted out to right back was just yeah. bombing up. Yes. You know, he's just he's powerful. He's strong. He's good with the ball at his feet, and I just feel like when we're crying out currently, where nobody really, I don't really feel like any of the midfielders get beyond. You know, talking about support to Ramirez, that might just be decent crosses into the box, or it might be having a partner up front, or it might just be someone from midfield going beyond him or being there to support him. It feels like Ross McCrory got that in his locker. He's strong and powerful, a bit like we see sometimes with Jenks. You know, it yeah. feels like we've got a couple of guys in there who can carry the ball forward, but you'd rather McCrory is trying that in midfield because if it goes wrong, he's got some cover. If he's trying to burst his way through from defence, you know, it's going to have to be some hell of a run and hope he doesn't get caught out. So I think he's done well there, but I would rather see him get a run in midfield. I think he's pretty tough in the tackle. I don't really see him getting bullied or intimidated too much. But he's also, in my opinion, really quite a good footballer. So he's pretty much got everything you'd want in there. So longer term, I realise you might have to just plug a gap until Goodwin can figure out who can do what or he gets through and gets someone he wants in there. But I don't really want to see him in the defence long term. If we can find a way of getting him in the midfield sooner rather than later, I'd be quite happy with that. Yep, agreed. Um, there was also this Dundee United away when whatever happened Ojo got sent off and someone else went off injured and it ended up with a defensive Brown and Campbell yeah. center back and McCrory went to right back I think Jack Gurr got injured didn't he or something like that he got subbed off Jack Gurr had like cramp I think yeah so yeah. he got subbed off or something yeah and again you saw the the pace and the power and the ability he's got just to run past people with not even really much in the way of skill just his sheer running power yeah yeah I think we've been I think we can all say that we can see why Glass did what he did, but I think we've sacrificed Ross McCrory's quality to turn him into a centre-back. And I'd kind of like us to get into the mould of playing players in their in their natural position and working out a strategy to get the best out of them. Goodwin was very, very effusive about McCrory pre-match, I think. It might have been post-match, I can't remember, but 
he talked about how he actually tried to get McCrory at Alloa on loan. Um, so it's a guy who he he really highly rates, and he was very, very effusive about him. And you could see why in that game yesterday. Really just a, a proper Warriors performance, so to speak, from McCrory. Um, for me, he looks like a future captain of this football club, if I'm brutally honest. I know he's captain against Livingston earlier on, but he looks like he's beginning to grow into that type of player. It feels to me... Has he bulked up a wee bit in the last kind of two seasons as well? Is it just is it just my imagination? He, it looks to me like he's got a wee bit bigger and just looks like he could be a real, real asset in the centre of the park. Yeah, I think so. And yeah, I see a leader there. Yeah, I would agree with all of that. And even just from a recruitment point of view, I feel like um, it shouldn't be too difficult to get a physical, tough defender. There are plenty of them in and around the league and plenty of those players exist. But finding a player like Ross Rory who can do the the ugly side of the game and then actually take the ball at his feet and you don't panic, that, that's harder to find. It just feels like we've got him and we're looking at the midfield saying, oh, we need a little something. Well, the little something is there. He's just playing in the wrong position. So yeah, I'm kind of hoping he, we, can, uh, we can get to the bottom of that and Goodwin can, yeah, sort of address that. Or like, you know, if he has to just ride out to the end of the season, the season fine. But I agree with everyone here that we've, we've got a really good player who's just not been allowed to excel because I just don't think he's playing in his best role. He's in a way, he's a victim of his own quality, isn't he? Yeah, he is. Yeah, Because Derek McInnes moved him to right back at times as well. Yeah. So he's been shuffled around plenty of positions. I think he could probably do a job anywhere on the pitch. He's he's that good at this level, especially. But yeah, I've just, like a lot of people have called for it. And I think, yeah, I'm calling for it too, that he should be long-term. He should be a center midfielder. And if the people... If the necessary people move on, then yeah, I would have no issue with them being captain of Aberdeen. I honestly think that right at this moment in time, one of the first bits of business that Goodwin should be doing is actually going in and getting McCrory signed up on an extended deal. I know he signed like a four and a half year deal when he joined, and so there's probably not that, there's probably still a decent chunk of time left on that deal to go, but I'd be trying to get at least another year put onto that contract right now, because if he continues to play the way he's playing at the moment... Yeah, someone, someone mentioned that, yeah, there's all the chat around... Ramsey and Ferguson, but I would dare say Ross McCrory is our best player, and he's he's only twenty three. Yeah, yeah, we've got him at a good age. He's still a very good age for prospective clubs down south to be looking at and thinking, fancy a bit of that. Yeah, absolutely. Connor Barron, you touched on him earlier on, Gav as well. We haven't, I haven't spoken about Connor Barron in the entirety of the kind of the the review of the game, but I was really impressed with Connor Barron on. Tuesday night against St. Johnston, I think everybody was raving about his performance. He he was absolutely superb in that game. But I actually thought yesterday, um, in a way, was an even better performance. It wasn't as flashy. He didn't have the shots on goal or anything like he did on Tuesday night. But yesterday's a... That's a battle to go into. Um, Motherwell are a team of giants. I mean, they're all like six foot plus, I think, practically. Pitch was really heavy. Motherwell are not shy about leaving the boot in especially in the set of the park. Thought he looked really neat, composed, did his work well, was tenacious, was putting himself about, got involved in tackles. Not an easy game for a, a, a young kid to go into yesterday, especially just with his size. I, I, you know, it didn't shirk from anything. I was very, very impressed with him yesterday again. Yeah, completely agree. Um, everything you've said. His, um, yeah, he's very, he's incredibly assured on the ball for his age and he's got an excellent range of passing and, He's tenacious. He's he's a little battler, and that's uh, yeah. Players like that they don't come along every day. So I think we've got potentially a wee gem on our hands here, and I think Jim Goodwin 
has a track record of developing players. So the ingredients are all there for us to really enjoy Connor Barron for the next few years. Anything else we want to add on the game at Fair Park yesterday? I think, like I said, it's very difficult to judge anything really that came out, but it was almost a bit of a nothing kind of game to an extent. Um, yeah, like I say, people need to realise perhaps that, yeah, they couldn't train on Friday. Um, we all saw the the Instagram stories of Ross McCrory with him and Vicente Bajawan, who looked fucking miserable walking from West Hill to, to Cormac Park. Vicente, I'm sure, probably getting on the phone to his agent and be like, what the hell did you get me signed up for? Um, and I think Terry Jenks and Dante Polvara running through the snow to training, which, so Dante's on his way. I'm sure that that might not have been against, you know, that might have been against surgeon's recommendations, <laughs> I imagine. But there we go. Um, yeah, nothing, yeah, nothing Jim Goodwin could realistically have affected in terms of style, strategy, whatever you want to call it. Um, glad we didn't lose. Glad we got a point on the board. Um still in the hunt for fourth place somehow <laughs> miraculously again with the way results have gone across the weekend obviously Hibs beating Ross Kitty was the big negative for us but still just three points off fourth which seems what is it? I think it's seven points that separates tenth and fourth now it could be something along those lines yeah. um, we're going to talk about next week later on but next week is a huge huge week actually for us and our hopes of fourth we'll talk about it later on why that is let's move on other news from Patojo this week. Well, obviously the big news was the Jim Goodwin appointment and Gav and myself, we managed to get out of our scratchers on Saturday morning to bring you our little mini pod, episode 31 and a half, uh, The Bearded Gun, which I thought was an inspired punny title, but I don't think it maybe necessarily was in the in the, in the review. I was disappointed that my tweet about Johnny Hayes didn't get more likes. <laughs> I thought that was a very good one. I thought it was. But uh, yeah, solid effort. But Graham, your views on the Jim Goodwin point, we never spoke to you obviously on Saturday morning. You were still in your scratcher. Um, first of all, have you got anything to say to the club just for announcing a, a big deal like that at six minutes past eight in the morning on a Saturday? No, I guess, did they announce this first? Or was this like Glass's departure where it was plastered all over the papers before the club confirmed it? <laughs> well, pretty common knowledge the evening before, yes. Or Wednesday, depending on. I think it was common knowledge that the deal had been signed Friday, yeah, Friday yeah. evening, yes. Yeah, I'll be honest, um, I can't really say I'm particularly enthused or excited about it. It's This isn't really a, a reflection on Jim Goodwin as a person who I know nothing about him and everyone seems to say he's a good egg. It's not even so much in a, a reflection on him as a manager. It's more, it's maybe just my own view, I feel like I'd sort of, for once, I'd bought into the spiel and the marketing from the club about this philosophy and what we're going to do. And with the greatest respect to Jim Goodwin or any manager in Scotland, I don't see what's this going to change? What are we going to do that's different? We're just going to get a guy who knows to grind out results. And I would also say we've got a guy who's relatively inexperienced. I know he's had his time at Alawa and he's been in St Mirren for a few years, but I'm not so sure that really equates to having enough in the locker to manage Aberdeen with expectations that go with that. So we're nowhere near in the same setup we were with Glass where Glass we, we where Glass was appointed and then with zero experience and then we compounded that by allowing him to take a team with zero experience. So yeah. we've not made that same mistake again. So that is positive. I just don't really see 
I don't really see what this is going to do. What is this going to make as different to the McInnes era, for example, where generally speaking, people were pretty fed up with the football on the pitch, even ignoring the fact that the results, generally speaking, were better than they had been. Um, I'm just not really sure why this is going to be any different. I felt it was a time to be bold and stick with what I thought the club were trying to achieve. It looks like they've panicked, gone for a safe option, um, and it doesn't really excite me, and I don't really see this really pushing us on. Having said all that, he is the manager, so I absolutely am 100% behind him uh, until, you know, results maybe prove that, you know, like I did with Glass, we were all behind him, regardless of how we, we had our views as to how we got to the club. He was the manager, he got our support. Uh, nothing will change here. Um, although maybe one other question mark over Goodwin is, there's a man who watched Curtis Main and thought, oh, that'll do for me. So that's slightly terrifying. This is, yeah, so Graham, actually, I'm really glad you've brought up a whole bunch of these points because Gav and I didn't really touch on any of this on um, the mini pod we did on Saturday morning because I think we were both trying to be as positive as we can be about the the appointment. Um, I'm in the same boat as you, Graham. I, I, I'm kind of underwhelmed about it and I, I think it's a relatively, I'm going to say a, a, a relatively lazy appointment on our part. And we'll come on to the reasons why in, in a minute. But I think it's a good time to talk about the process because like, like I said, I think on Saturday we're trying to find the positives. You're right, he's the manager now. We need to get behind him. He starts with a clean slate. He starts with everyone's well wishes. 100% in six months, 12 months, 18 months time or whatever, if this is getting played back to me and once again, I'm being made to look stupid, that's absolutely fine and be delightful <laughs> because all any of us want is a successful Aberdeen. And if I look daft, because Goodwin has absolutely smashed it in the park, then I'll be quite happy with that. I should say, I don't want to look right. This is not about taking a stand and I won't be there. Oh, you know, I told you so. I really hope I'm wrong. I just can't get excited about this appointment. Yeah. So let, let's just talk about it, I guess, because it seemed very, jump back a step. It seems to me like it's a very reactionary appointment to what's gone wrong with Stephen Glass. And I know this is what tends to happen is that, you know, you you bring in a young and inexperienced manager, it doesn't work out. You automatically go for somebody who's perceived to have more experience of the league or whatever next time round. Or you bring in a foreign manager, it doesn't work out. You go for a local hero, a local legend next time round. You know, you kind of almost do the polar opposite because you're scared about what you did last time and why that didn't work. And that kind of feels like what we've done here. I'm surprised, talk to me, you guys, about whether you are or not. I'm surprised that we ran the process as quickly as we have, because we've literally gone within, in less than seven days, we've sat glass and appointed Goodwin. Given how critical an appointment this is, not just for the, it's a critical one for the club, full stop. But it's also a huge, huge appointment. We spoke about this last week with Ali Beg. It's a huge appointment for Dave Cormack on a personal level, because he's, he's invested a lot of goodwill that he'd built up with the support in the Stephen Glass project. And there's a whole bunch of other stuff that's gone to shit in the interim period as well in terms of the relationship, again, between club and support, I feel. Given it's such an important appointment, do you think that it's surprising that we've... kind of feels like we've kind of rushed it. I kind of feel the other way, and I guess this is where Ali and I were of the opinion that surely not even Aberdeen would sack the manager without having someone lined up. So I'm taking, I'm on the other side of the fence from you. I'm looking at this saying they've had this 
this is who they've obviously decided is going to be the new Stephen Glass and have presumably sounded out advisors, etc., behind the scenes before they pulled the trigger on Stephen Glass and this was the man that they wanted to. And the reason I think that is because it all happened so quickly. I think if you had if you had no idea and you were just, right, we've got rid of a manager and then you realise you had to get one, I think it would have rumbled on, especially when you had Simeon Robson as able-bodied, you know, able able candidates to come in and get you through a few games. Um, it's not like you're a small, it's not like you're a tiny little club where, you know, everyone's doing everything. You think, ah, right, we really need someone. We've got levels below the first team yeah. that can come in and do a job. Uh, and you've got to give these guys experience at a point in time. So I think they've had their eye on this. I just don't think it's adventurous or it's by... I, it feels like they've come up with this idea and plan and uh, they don't believe it themselves because they've not stuck to their idea or the plan is how I take it. I tend to completely agree. I think they've been looking at this since... Because Graham mentioned it earlier, maybe it was, it was Kenny, I can't remember when it was, Graham mentioned it, but they chat around he was going to get the bullet and the players intervened. Yeah, and it's difficult to believe that was any other time than October after Dundee, because you look back now with retrospect when yeah. we score, when Ramirez scores the goal against Hibbs. Yeah, it's a very the good first point. person he does, he runs to Glass to celebrate. Yeah, so I think they've been, I think Cormac Gunn, whoever the decision makers at the club are, have been looking at this project probably since then, and thinking to themselves, this maybe isn't going to work, and I think they've had a. I think they've had a long-term strategy and Jim Goodwin's been identified for a long time. Right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw two things in here in a second, but one, if our club is not at any given time thinking about succession planning and having a list or a, an idea about who they would go for if something was to happen, then that's really, really worrying. Full stop, right? Whether they need to pull it off the shelf because you've now decided to bin the manager or because he's left because he's done such a good job, we should always have that kind of break glass and case of emergency file sitting there with a bunch of guys listed in it about who we would go for if they're available that fit the criteria as Graham's talked about, that fit the strategy that fit blah 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 blah, all that kind of stuff the thing I'm always going to come back to you, you've, you've both kind of said, oh, I kind of think maybe <clears throat> it was always this way, the fact of the matter is, on Monday Jack Ross was the guy you say that's the fact of the matter but nobody knows no. what the facts are the facts are Jim Goodman is the manager, if they approach more than one other person, that's just conjecture. All right, given what we've been told, and it comes from the same place that told us right on full time last Saturday about Stephen Glass being bulleted, about the fact it was Robson Simi as the interim management team, and about some other bits and pieces within the club that we won't go into detail on right now, that have come out to be true, Jack Ross was the guy that they were going for Monday morning. And, and then, then no, I didn't say Jim Goodwin was their first choice. Jim yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is where I'm going to. This is where I'm going to get. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. Jim Goodwin was on the list, but Jack Ross was the guy they were they were going for Monday morning. And then basically, and this came out in some areas of the press as well, because even on Monday it was very much a kind of Jack Ross leading the line. Jim Goodwin's in consideration, and there was such a backlash about the Jack Ross scenario online that suddenly everything changed again there was a complete 180 done cooled on the jack rest the jack ross project completely and then went off on the jim goodwin track which i don't know on one hand it says a lot to take the fans views and expectations into consideration on this type of move but at the same time it does lead me to be a little bit concerned that are we 
are we managing our football club by social media opinion? Who says it's the club that cooled? Maybe Jack Ross got wind of all that and thought, Do you know what, I don't need to be going into a club with that hanging over me. That's not the version of events that we've been given. So, so I, I, until someone, until Cormac can call me up and say these are the absolute facts. <laughs> Which isn't going to happen. You know, it's all just rumour and, and hearsay. Um, I know, yeah, there was a lot of stuff with Jack Ross and for what it's worth, he wasn't the answer either, in my opinion. So I don't feel like we've, um, I don't feel like we've lost out by him not coming in, which I know is not where you're going yeah, yeah. with that. But then i got to be honest, if they were trawling through everyone's social media, I'm not so sure they would have given Jim Goodwin the job. So I don't fully buy into that. Gav? Oh, this is way too many conspiracy theories for my liking. <laughs> I thought we were done with this after Ronnie Hernandez left on a permanent transfer. On the subject of conspiracy theories, have you ever seen Hernandez and Goodwin in the same room at the same time? <laughs> <laughs> I, I haven't, but... Um... I don't think I've ever seen Ronnie Hernandez in person, to be honest. Um, it's kind of, he's kind of like Dad and Mowbray. Um, would is, is Dave Cormack the kind of person that would make a populist judgment call? Maybe. Yes. Um, like Graham said, I think like we've alluded to, if you're going to try and go through social media looking for a unifying managerial choice, then good luck on that one. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. This is all conjecture. This is all rumor and innuendo, as they say in the biz. I'm not really sure the, what the the worthwhile in, in discussing this really is, to be honest with you, because at the end of the day, it's it's been and gone. Jim Goodwin's the manager now. Uh, yeah, but my point is not about who the manager actually is. It's more around the decision-making process of people at the top of the club. That's where I'm getting to. It's, it's not around whether Jack Ross or Jim Goodwin or Kel Knudsen or whoever else was the right guy. It's about the fact that it would appear to me in instances here, we are running the club, making decisions based on what social media has to say about something, rather than if the board and if the director of football and whoever else had decided Jack Ross was the guy, Jack Ross should have been the guy. And they would have had to go and convince people why Jack Ross was the guy. Like deciding to about turn on stuff like that, just because people out there are going, I don't fucking like that, isn't the way I would expect a a proper business to be operated and you know i hate using the word business about a football club but i i just don't think it's necessarily the right way to be doing things I, I i don't get me wrong i think that avoiding the jack cross bullet is the completely right thing to have done i think jack cross would have been a fucking disaster of a manager of a football club but i'm just not entirely sure if it's the right way to to look at running things um i feel like you if you're going to go down that route, then you can't be complaining about the chairman or whoever not listening to fans because you can't be saying they don't listen to fans and then when they do potentially listen to fans by about turning on a managerial appointment, it's not the way to run things. The other, you either want them to take their opinions in or you don't. You can't sort of pick and choose when would they be influenced by the fans. So if they've been influenced, I'm not so sure I can be too critical of that because I would be in the opinion that I don't think they do listen so if they have listened I probably can't be moaning about that but I would have reservations around a massive appointment like that being made on the basis of someone scrolling through some tweets to see you know who who hates who's hated more Jim Goodwin or Jack Ross right okay well we don't go for that one what about the fact that Rob Wicks is basically canvassing fans in the red shed on Tuesday night about who they think would be a good manager. But even then, is that a bad thing? 
we're all saying we want we know how everyone should be doing it and we want to have a say in how the clubs run so if they're going out there I know it, I, it does me a bit mad to be going around with a sort of a, like a questionnaire that's one vote for Jim that's one vote for Jack so I, I take your point it's a slightly it's a tin pot way of doing it but fundamentally if they are genuinely trying to get some sort of insight into what the fan base wants um, it's a little bit difficult to then say oh they they listened to the fan base but this is my thing so it becomes like such lip service bullshit because this is Tuesday night by Wednesday afternoon it's all lip service bullshit Jim Goodwin Jim Goodwin's the man so even it's like even if, the outstanding candidate remember yeah yeah I, I know I know I know but like if 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 they're seriously going out there going, who do you think would be the, a good guy, right? A, we shouldn't be asking the fans that anyway, because as Gav has pointed out on more than one occasion, the fans wanted Steve Patterson, the fans wanted Mark McGee, they were fucking disastrous appointments. I didn't want Mark McGee. No, anyway, right? I think it is generally accepted at the time that those two names were managers that a chunk of the fan base were aligned on. I kind of feel so that in situations where, well. personally speaking, I get to scenarios where it's choosing managers of the football club, don't listen to the fans, right? Don't listen to anything any of us idiots have to say about things. And I include myself in that. Like, yeah, I mean, you would have signed Kevin Rukovic up to a long-term contract. <laughs> this is this is entirely true. I mean, I was called a, a hipster wanker during the week for suggesting that we should think about doing something at the Scottish bubble. That's fine. That's like, I don't know what this guy had, a, had against hipsters. He clearly has some sort of deep sense of rage about men with beers that would appear but <laughs> it's just my opinion that i think that we should have maybe done something a little bit different with this particular move looked a little bit further afield there's also the consideration that maybe we did go for jack ross and we and he just didn't impress in the interview maybe he didn't want to work within the structure there are all kinds of reasons why that might not have happened it could be could be but it it, it, it very swiftly moved from jack ross to well, now we're considering other things, like we're, we've made an approach to Kieto Kunsan, which, I'm sorry, I'm, we might have made an inquiry in terms of phoning up Bodo Glimp and asking, can we speak to Kieto Kunsan, please? And they've gone, you can fuck right off. And we've gone, thanks very much. Yeah. We'll leak that to the press we asked about this guy. In the same way we made an offer of £10 for Erling Haaland. We made a bid for him, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, in the same way that we asked, oh, we probably better go, not go down that rabbit hole. It just, I don't know, it just feels like it was a very rushed process again it feels like we've chopped and changed on who we were really targeting as a number one rushed or chopped and changed all the candidates ignoring the sort of obviously nonsense ones in the bookies lists even like your ross and your goodwin they're uninspiring lazy choices so whether we rush through one to get to the other it's an uninspiring and lazy list that it would appear that we were working from because if you want to go down the league and say, well, who's actually achieved something? Yeah, Callum Davidson's got St. Johnson not playing particularly well at the moment, but he won two cups for God's sake. That's more than anyone else on that list. So if you want to go down the lazy list, there were better candidates on that list than the ones that we, we spoke to. And this is the interesting piece about the Goodwin move, because as we're going to come on to with Kenny shortly, and I think Gab, we spoke about it on Saturday as well, October, November time, Jim Goodwin would have been nowhere near this job given how St Mirren were doing at the time Calum Davidson at that point St Johnston weren't doing well but would have had still way enough credit in the bank oh, because of the cup yeah, double last definitely. season definitely his star was shining maybe not full strength at that point but significantly brighter than it was right, like a diamond most, <laughs> yeah, most of us would have gone 
Cam Davidson might be a shout. He's won two cups with St. Johnson for fuck's sake. We we moved to where we were a week ago, and if you'd said to anyone, Cam Davidson, everyone would be going, fuck right off, don't fucking let him anywhere near us. And it's like it's madness how football works from, from that perspective. Yeah. Um we've maybe I don't know, we've maybe exhausted this chat for just the avoidance of doubt. I think the three of us would all completely agree that we are all 100% behind the sexy beast from Waterford, who is now in situ at, uh, at Pathology. We wish Jim all the very best of luck in his role. Fingers crossed. Hey, listen, no one, was, no one and anyone that tries to pretend otherwise right now is fucking lying. No one was enthused when Derek McInnes walked through the doors. In tw- no, you weren't. In 2013. Yeah, I was. No, you I, weren't. Ups, no, I you absolutely weren't. was. You were enthused. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I was not. Were you enthused or were you relieved? I felt, I, yeah, I felt he was a man relieved. Uh, no, I was enthused with that one. I felt that he was. A, okay. It, it felt like a very good fit at the time. I felt like we were. We found the only Aberdeen fan at the time who was enthused by. He was obviously. Also, who also didn't want Mark McGee. Derek McInnes was clearly the posh man's choice because I was not enthused at all. I will admit, I did um, want Steve Patterson, though. <laughs> not at that time, I take it. You mean... <laughs> you, you mean original? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the first time around, not, uh, not okay, post-leaving the stadium in the boot of his car. It's always good just to clarify these things. But look, listen, no one was enthused by the, the McInnes choice. It's entirely possible. Other than, other than Gavin. Well, other than Gavin, no one was enthused. So it's entirely possible this will all work out. Uh, yeah, and obviously that's where we all want to be. And yeah, on your point, we've got a home game against Sunday United, hopefully get a decent crowd and everyone just gets behind the manager and the team. And hopefully the old uh, transition word doesn't come up or doesn't come up for long because I think people have suffered enough this season it'd be good for it would be good just to come out and get going so hopefully we can do that as in good ones happy enough with the guys he's got and he can um he can get him through to the next you know to the, the next transfer window without a song and dance about why it's going to take land final point would be that we can say that it was rushed it's one of these situations you can't win either way you do it because if we hold off and our season, you know, torpedoes, and we get in a relegation battle, then people will turn around and say they didn't react quickly enough. I think they've looked at it and thought there's still a lot to play for this season in terms of getting into Europe, and that's why they've made the call as quickly as they have. And at the end of the day, we didn't reappoint Mark McGee, so let's, you know, we're, we're doing all right. We're doing okay. Graham, actually, one last thing. We, we spoke about this, I think, briefly on Saturday. What do you think Jim Goodwin's going to make a jet? I will be amazed if we see Jet anywhere near Petrodri on a Saturday. There's no danger. There's just no danger Jet's going to get anywhere near the team, is there? Not not a man in his mold. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> now, we gave you our initial thoughts on the appointment of Jim Goodwin during our episode 31 and a half on Saturday, but as we've already demonstrated, we don't have a fucking clue what we're talking about. So to get a deeper view on our new manager... Gav, Graham and I, we caught up with St. Mirren fan and regular contributor to the ABZFP, Kenny Leckie, to get his thoughts on what we can expect from our new management team. Kenny Leckie, welcome back to the ABZ Football Podcast. How's it going? Good, thank you for having me back on. I feel like this is becoming a regular occurrence of me coming on and nattering and shite about St. Mirren. <laughs> well, we, we seem to be very interlinked at the moment uh, yeah. in our two clubs because we... <laughs> Lined up that whole segment about Jamie McGrath, as you might recall, from uh, yes. January. When that looked like that was going to be a thing that happened, and we had to scrap that. That's on the 
director's uh, cutting room floor as we speak at the moment. But we thought, um, given the news on Saturday about Jim Goodwin uh, jumping ship from St Mirren, making the move to the northeast of Scotland, it would be a good idea for us to get a, a chance to speak with a, a guy who watches St Mirren much more regularly than we do to get the, uh, a bit of a download of what we can expect from the Silver Fox himself. Uh, I guess just in terms of just your first reactions to the move, Kenny, obviously it was kind of well trailed all last week that this was what was going to happen. But when the news comes out Saturday morning, it's official. What's your initial initial thoughts? It's very weird. I mean, first of all, I love Jim Goodwin. He's a Sitman legend. He captained us to win the Cup in 2013. As a player, he was hard as nails, but he sort of reinvented himself as this really like exceptionally handsome bohemian guy. <laughs> that like doesn't really fit the image. I always think to see when people are like volun- voluntarily bald as young men, like there's there's a certain element of like you're after your nut. And then as a manager, he's came back in with a beard and he's grown his hair out and he wears a gilet. What a guy. But uh, as a manager, like I, me and my friends have had this discussion a couple of times of like, if Jim Goodwin wasn't so handsome, do you think we would have put up with how shape we've been playing recently? And that that's definitely I, I I don't feel particularly bad about him going, and that's not to say he's a bad manager or anything, but like it's quite a sweet deal that like throughout October, November, December, I think like when the first came on this podcast and I was saying that we hadn't won a game in eleven matches, yeah, and that, that was under Goodwin, and it's only really in the last like since January when when we change tactics a bit, that we're suddenly sitting like a point off the European places, which is just bonkers. So I'm I'm not as like crushed as I was when Jack Ross left or when Owen Kearney left. I think it's a good move for us more than it is for you. We've got what's rumored to be a quarter of a million quid for our manager who was maybe on a precipice anyway because of some decision-making within the club. I'm more gutted from a sheerly superficial point of view that we've lost the most handsome manager in the league. Yeah, I, I I don't think we can disagree on that one, can we? I think mm-hmm. that's a that's a given. Um, it is an interesting one. It's just what you spoke about, and this is something we were talking about all last week when the rumor mill was going about the fact that it was put it this way: Monday last week, Jack Ross was the front runner, and the interest for, in 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 Jack Ross appeared to cool quite significantly Monday morning through the day Monday when. Basically, there's just almost like a fan revolt on social media about the prospect of Jack Ross becoming the Aberdeen gaffer. And that's when they seem to switch tact and go towards Goodwin. And I think, Gav, you'll say, I think that, you know, if, if we were going to pick a guy out of the current SPFL framework that's attainable, Goodwin was probably the one that was most desirable out of everybody that would have been potentially available to us. Um, but you're right. It's an interesting one. If you, if you look two months ago, he wouldn't have even been in the running for this job based on where St Mirren were form-wise and it's it's almost incredible to think that in such a short period of time here we are he becomes the most sought after manager in the league at one point I think you're absolutely right that it, it just shows the state that Scottish football's in as, as we've seen with the, the absolutely manic appointment of Mark McGee at Dundee who's got a six game touchline ban with 13 games to go <laughs> this season that kind of gazumps this in terms of weirdness of a guy who hadn't won in 11 matches suddenly being poached for like arguably the third biggest team in Scotland it's it's kind of weird and I think some other fans are all kind of in agreement that we all love Jim but cool man take the money and run it's it's not like we're not used to having managers leave like we go through managers all the time like 
recently, like Jim Goodwin, Owen Kearney, Jack Ross, Alec Ray, Alan Stubbs. Like it's disaster after disaster recent months. We're kind of used to it, but the good thing is we've got a pretty settled squad. We've got a pretty settled academy. The manager changing isn't as isn't as colossal as it would have been maybe two or three years ago. So we're in a pretty good position. Tactically, I think Jim Goodwin's still quite naive. I mean, for the first the first half of this season, he was very adamant about trying to play three at the back with wing backs, and it was terrible. Like we were absolutely hopeless. We couldn't score. We were playing guys out of position to try and accommodate this formation. It didn't work. Immediately when we started playing four, two, three, one, we've went on this unbeaten run. It's now what six or seven matches. We're yeah. playing quite attractive football. We've managed to get Greg Kilty scoring something like six goals since January. Like, I, I think Goodwin can be quite reluctant to change sometimes and maybe admit that he's wrong, which I think is a young manager thing. When you're a young manager and, you, and you've got philosophies and ideals, you think your philosophies and ideals are the only way to play football. And it sometimes takes getting a good couple of scalpings to realise you might be wrong. And I think that's what happened to us before Christmas when we were, you know, we couldn't score for love nor money that there's there's maybe been a word said. I tell you what, for just getting back to Mark McGee, there is going to be no one in Scottish all happier than to get a chance to sit in the stands at Celtic Park for free than uh, than Mark McGee. Potentially Jim Goodwin. Jim Goodwin, mate. Potentially Jim Goodwin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, what you've just said there about is perhaps youthfulness and unwillingness to change. I mean, that sounds incredibly familiar to a story we've just experienced at Aberdeen. But like you said, he did adapt he did recognize and he did change things and i think that's something we're looking forward to him bringing bringing to aberdeen on the point of like what would you say aberdeen fans should expect in terms of style of play and formation from jim goodwin uh long term what you expect from jim goodwin first of all he's a brilliant guy like he's a fantastic guy to to have as like the talismanic figure of your club because he's 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 very well spoken He's very calm, which very much contrasts to his on-the-pitch appearance when he was a player. You know, he was pretty relentless and, you know, he would uh, get carded at every opportunity. Some of his fouls are pretty legendary, but, like, as a manager, he's very calm, composed. He is very passionate in his own way. So I think you can expect to see a guy who, who actually does take interest in the local community, which I think, from an outsider looking at Aberdeen, he's haven't had many managers in the last couple of Kind of seasons, a couple of runs of managers who seem to be that engaged with Aberdeen. Um, Jim will very much get involved, whether it's like at an academy basis or whether it's just some community stuff. Like he's very much on the forefront of that, which is great. That's one thing that Simone fans love is someone who actually really cares about what's happening. In terms of style of play, he doesn't have like a default formation. He is very, he is very defensive in how he likes to play, and I think. It would be interesting to see how he adapts to a squad like Aberdeen with the players that you've got because Aberdeen do have a much, on, on paper anyway, a much better squad than Simon and you've got much quicker players than we do. He definitely had to adapt to the fact that we didn't have the players to play in the formation that he wanted. I think for a lot of last season, even though last season we ended up playing some of the best football I've seen us play in years, it kind of, he stumbles across things that kind of work with what he has. Like he doesn't spend a lot of money. He is very good at like looking around for good loan signings and free agents. 
So I think that's one of the things that he does really, really well is, is understand what works in Scotland. Because when when he came to St Mirren, we were definitely the sort of club who in July would bring in 25 players who had never played in Scotland. It would take them six months to get their feet in the, the ground and then by January we're in a relegation battle. What Jim did when he came to St Mirren was immediately bring in guys who knew the league. He brought in guys like Richard Tate and Marcus Fraser and Jack Anik who were experienced, they were hard, they were maybe guys in like their mid to late 20s. So they've kind of got over that hump of being youthful and experienced elsewhere. He brings in a kind of good spine and can add youth around that. Like the last couple of weeks, we've been doing really, really well. We've had the, like Jay Henderson, who's an academy player, I think he's maybe 17, 17, 18. He's been playing out in the, the right wing but the core of the team is established Scottish Premier League players. The guys who can take a fight, Alan Power, like we spoke about before in the podcast, guys like Greg Kilty, Eamon Brophy, people who know what's expected of this league and know that it's not exactly always going to be fun football, that it can be quite dogged from time to time. So I definitely think he'll make this Aberdeen squad in particular a bit harder. What's going to be interesting is, though, that looking through the... um the quotes that came out when he was appointed yesterday. Um, one of the things that the club, the Aberdeen, have been trying to push in the last 12, 18 months now is this idea that we've got this footballing philosophy, right? It's the where I axe 95 or something, right? Um, about trying to play attacking, exciting football that's going to get like fans off their seats. That's what Dave Cormack keeps on kind of going back to. And, and one of the quotes that, not that I should point out that's been something that's really borne out for much of this campaign, hence why we are where we are. Well, it's gotten people out of their seats and they've just then left and not come back. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> uh, and what, what Dave suggested is that he fully, this is Jimmy's talking about, he fully embraces our vision and strategy. Now, I know this is all bullshit bingo corporate football talk, but just going on what you said there, and I think that fits with what I think most people are expecting, is that we expect him to come in and make us difficult to beat first and foremost. And probably there'll be a level of pragmatism, I suspect, around Jim Good. Probably not too dissimilar to what Derek McInnes was like, probably. But do you think he's got it in him to try and play that kind of more expansive, more attacking kind of brand of football? Do you think that's in his DNA, just as a coach, from what you've seen? I think with the right players, absolutely. I mean, in, he will always try and find a player within the squad to match his image, and that'll be a big British centre midfield player. You know, um, I, I think if Scott Brown does stay at Aberdeen, he will be that in front of the defence guy that then allows more talented attack-minded players to go and do their job up front. And we've saw over the last couple of seasons, Jamie McGrath, really, really good. Kyle, um, Kyle McGuinness, before he went to Hibs, exceptional in that kind of forward attacking role. Eamon Brophy's has come in. John Obika last season, he does like to let there's almost like that real clear division of labour between attack and defence of like you'll have your goalkeeper back four and your two aggressive midfield players sitting in front of that and then the rest of the lads are kind of left to be creative and that works when you've got players who can be creative the problem the first half of this season is we didn't really have people who were really good enough to do that and and you can see the difference in Sitman from even the last couple of weeks when Connor Ronan's been pushed further up the field. Jordan Jones has come in and playing at left wing. Grail Kelty's been given a full run in the team. You know, we brought in the wee Aussie guy, um, Alec Grieve, 
uh, sorry, New Zealander, I should state. Yeah. He would go off his nut if I was to call him a New Zealander, as he quite rightfully should. But like, you bring in a slightly higher quality of players, give him the freedom to play, he can do that. And I think as someone like Christian Ramirez, if he's given freedom and support, there's no reason why he can't go on and score 20 goals a season. He has that ability within himself, but at the moment, Aberdeen's system doesn't quite suit what he's trying to do. And there's not enough support. He looks very isolated. He looks very frustrated at what's going on. You know, I saw his tweet the other night. <laughs> you know, yeah. he definitely seems like a guy who who just needs people to be closer to him to score goals. So I think Jim definitely can. And Aberdeen have got not a big budget by any stretch of imagination, but a bigger budget than St. Martin and a bigger depth of talent to pull from that they can definitely accommodate attacking. Graham, you got anything? No, I think all of that's kind of, I suppose, what we, you know, what we know based on having seen him in the league and having played St. Marin over the last few seasons. It's encouraging that, especially like bits like he'll get involved in the community and things like that, and actually get involved in not just the day-to-day football club and doing the interviews, but actually what it's like to live here and what fans are like. And everything. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really encouraging because as much as I wouldn't say that's necessarily been a problem with previous managers, as in they've spoken fondly of their time here, etc. but maybe weren't aware of stuff that they were doing out and about day to day that's almost like not club PR sanctioned, if you know what I mean. So it's good that he's... Because I feel like you don't really get under the skin of a football club if you don't get out and about and actually interact with normal people that pay the money at the gate to go and watch it. So that's quite good. I think we, we're so soft at the moment, yeah. it's embarrassing. So having someone with that sort of mentality and actually, you know, you're, you're saying he's maybe got a guy or two in the team in his, in his image is absolutely what we are crying out for. We've got some decent players, but we don't have anyone that actually just, uh, when the going gets tough, I feel like just says, right, that's fine, boys, sleeves up. You guys hang around for the ball. I'll bat a couple of boys about and you can get released and play with it. And your point in Ramirez is bang on. The three of us have been moaning for a lot of this season about he scored quite a lot of goals in a team that doesn't really give him a great deal of support. I mean, quite often if you watch him, he's he's almost back at the halfway at, at times just trying to get involved. So if we can free him up, that'll make a huge difference. Where I'm not too sure about and maybe you can help me, Kenny, is actually my ignorance on the, the structure of St Mirren. So I guess where we are with Aberdeen now is theoretically you've got your your chairman, your director of football, sort of head of recruitment, and the way it's been packaged up to us previously by the club is that the recruitment is not really the manager's role per se. He will have a say, but it's it's almost dictated, but with a sort of check-in. Now, if that's, I'm not sure if that's how it works at St Mirren, where actually Jim Goodwin gets the players, or if he's used to working in this sort of structure, that he'll have a say, but someone will identify what the weaknesses are or what the strengths are and run some names past them rather than him going out and actually doing it. Does that sort of make sense? Is that kind of where he is with St Mirren? St Mirren, there's definitely been a bit of a rub uh, between what happens behind the scenes and what happens in the park. I think that's why it's not a surprise that Jim's left, because there's been huge upheaval this season uh, where we are a fan-owned club fantastic it's really really good to see how much fans um opinions get taken seriously in terms of the operational matters of the club but recently we've seen 
long-term catering staff, sports scientists, groundsmen, all either leave or be forced out of a job because of some stuff that's happening behind the scenes that that I think has caused a, a bit of friction. And I think with Jim in particular, he's very hands-on. He was very much the gaffer. He runs all the football and operations and would go to the, the, the people that look after the money with a list of things that he needed to have gone I need to bring in, especially in January there, that window of going, we need pace, we need to go and get a couple of wingers, we need to go and, but they very realistically would say, cool, in order to do that, we're going to have to accept that Jamie McGrath is going because he was probably the highest paid player at the club or that sort of jazz. So he very much has a vision. I think it will suit him better at your club to actually have a structure behind them. I think as a coach, it would take a bit of the pressure off him when he came to St Mirren, you know, you don't just automatically assume this because the guy is Irish, but suddenly we had eight Irish players. And I think that very much leads into, you know, the style of recruitment that he likes of bringing in people that he not necessarily knows, but like would have some element of connection with, mm. of people he's played with or people he, he knows, coaches that have worked alongside. And that works really, really well in terms of Jamie McGrath came in. He was, a, he was an Oran Kearney signing coming in from the Irish League. He definitely progressed leaps and bounds and became a Republic of Ireland international under Jim. And I think he is a good father figure for those players in that sense of, or big brother because of the age, you know, but I think that it will take a lot of the the weight off his shoulders to have a director of football and to have almost like a, a, an enforcement of not restrictions, but like here are the circumstances that we're going to work with. Here's the, the, the way we're we're going to move going forward. I think it will benefit his development as a coach that he just focuses on coaching. Yeah, it's an interesting one because yesterday post match he talked about the fact that obviously he hadn't had a chance to have any training time with the guys. He'd, he'd had like a fifteen minute call with them the night before, fifteen minutes in the hotel yesterday morning before they travelled to Fair Park and. He kind of talked very openly about the fact that he couldn't wait to get them on the training ground on Monday. He was very open about the fact that the training grounds where he thinks he does his best work, that's where he enjoys his work most. And it's an interesting one. Maybe you're right. Maybe the opportunity for him to focus purely on first team coaching, drilling the guys, opposition analysis and all that kind of stuff might really suit us, to be honest, because it takes away some of that noise, I guess, in the background. And one thing I think that's been quite encouraging from an Aberdeen perspective is that you just talked touched on their like League of Ireland in terms of recruitment. At least it looks to us from the outside that he's not scared to consider bringing players in from markets outside of Scottish football or the English lower leagues, for example, because that's something that we are certainly doing as a football club as well now with our head of recruitment and with the director of football that is, is trying to find new emerging markets to pull players from that we can maybe bring in relatively cheaply, um, develop hopefully, sell them on for a, for, a, for a good bit of profit and so it's encouraging that at least this sounds to me like a manager who will be willing to work with that as well he's not going to be scared about bringing in a guy from holland or from the north american college system as we've recently done and all that kind of good stuff would that seem like a kind of fair assessment i think he's a very good developer of talent in terms of he is very encouraging and he will give players a chance uh, you know he made a very young player captain in Kyle McGuinness, you know, Kyle then unfortunately bolted to Hibs as everybody does when they play for someone. <laughs> uh, he, he brings in, you know, the best performance I've seen us play all season is when we had to play the Wadens against Celtic and you've got guys like Dylan Reid come in and Dylan Reid, I mean, I don't believe he's 
17 years old, he looks about 26. Um, <laughs> but he, he's very much in, like, he will help players move on and progress. And I think he understands it's St Mern anyway. There is a ceiling to what St Mern can do and offer in terms of facilities, wages, all that sort of thing. So players like uh, our centre-half, McCarthy, like, he will, unfortunately, he's in a bit of an injury rock season, but he'll probably get a bigger move next year. And that's fine because he's we've seen him come in for very little money. He's developed. We've seen him progress. He's played really, really well. And he'll move on and do really, really well in the same way that Jamie McGrath is going to do down at Wigan or the same way that we're now seeing John McGinn, Kenny McLean, and Paul Dummett, all those sort of lads playing in the Premier League most weeks. That's, that is something that, that Sitman do very, very well. I've been able to take guys from outside their markets like you said like I remember Vlaclav Hlake the goalkeeper we brought in the season that we were probably going to get relegated and he kind of kept us up by himself he's now he went down to Salford City I think he's playing in the championship now in England but we got him from he played three times in the Czech League like the scouting system just I think it was a kind of money ball situation of have just looked statistically and went this guy fits all the the remits that we're looking for in a player let's bring him in and see what happens because the worst thing that happens is he comes in and plays once and shite he's at the back like that's much better than when Alan Stubbs was our manager and he had spent the entire transfer budget a month before the window closed because he didn't know the date of the transfer window closing you've got to replace in the aggregate don't you that's what it's all about <laughs> so I think what Jim will do really really well is push for those out, out of the box style signings like he won't just go through Celtic loanees, Rangers loanees, Manchester United loanees, Premier League loanees. He won't look to bring in guys like Longstaff, who has a pedigree for scoring against Manchester United. Like and then shites it completely in the SPL. He won't look to do that. He'll look to bring in guys who are maybe in their mid twenties who have played in leagues that are already quite physically tough. So that although they're not used to Scotland, they're used to some level of the endurance level that our style of football in Scotland requires. That's what he will do really well. That being said, he's prepared to look out with Scotland. Um, obviously, whenever a manager moves from one club to another in the same league, there's always that creeping fear that he may come back to his old club for players he trusts, players that he can mould and progress is there any chat or any suspicion on your part of him maybe coming back to St Mirren and looking at a couple of players? I don't think so, to be honest. Um, there's been such a high rate of turnover at St Mirren over the last two years that I don't think there is anyone that you would say is Jim's guy. Anyone that we've got in the team at the moment, I probably think this is the ceiling currently of the senior players for sure. Connor Ronan is a loanee from, from Wolves. He flits between a number eight and a number 10. I would say he's maybe the only one that next season, you can maybe see him trying to get him up from rules. He's he's a very good player. Um, but no, I think most of the players are at their ceiling at St. Mung, guys like Joe Shaughnessy, Charles Dunn, Jack Anik. They probably don't have another move in Scotland. They maybe get moved down south, but nah, there's, there's not really anybody I could see making that step up. It's different when, when Jack Cross went to Sunderland and then subsequently went to Hibs and when he went to Hibs he took our goalkeeping coach assistant manager 
sports scientist, left back, right back, centre midfielder, captain, <laughs> and I think chef. <laughs> you know, that was a bit of a clear out. I can't, I, I don't really see Jim doing that. You know, I, I think Connor Ronan's the only one that I can see that would go and fit in. After Austin Samuels up here at Aberdeen, I'm not sure Wolves are going to be too keen on sending anyone up our way. So uh, this is absolutely <laughs> true. And on that note, yes, <laughs> that seems like a very good place to round things off. Kenny Lecky, thank you for joining us again on the ABZ Football Podcast. Thank you. Enjoy the having the most handsome man in the league in your football team. We already are. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Cheers, man. And on the women's side, not much to report this week. The women's side is their scheduled fixture in SWPL1 against Glasgow City on Sunday. It was rearranged for Wednesday, the 2nd of March. Next up for Gavin Beath and Emma Hunter's side is a visit of Motherwell. Who else would it be after the last couple of weeks? As they visit the Balmoral next Sunday in SWPL1. I can only presume they don't have Mrs Van Veen playing up front to shithouse their way to a 1-0 win. Just hopefully the ladies don't have Declan Gallagher at centre back. Yeah, absolutely. On to the young team with Barry Robson and Scott Anderson taking charge of the first team on Tuesday night. It fell to Gavin Levy and our episode 17 guest, Stuart Duff, to lead the young team in their CAS under-18 league fixture at Dundee United. Liam Harvey, Dylan Lobbin and Finlay Murray all returning from international duty for the Dons and it was a frantic opening with United taking the lead on 28 minutes. A fine turn and finish from Heenan beating Jamie Shingler, but the Young Dons equalised just before half-time. Liam Harvey with a fine finish on his return after scoring for Scotland against England last week. Half-time, one apiece, and after a fairly even second half, it took a stunning goal from substitute Alfie Stewart on 85 minutes, a turning shot from 30 yards into the top corner, which was enough to see the Dons claim the victory against the United side who performed strongly this season. And on to lone watch... Cliftonville's league fixture with Dungan and Swifts was postponed, so no game time for either Luke Turner or Mark Gallagher in the Norwich Irish Premiership. Jack McIver returned to Huntley on loan until the end of the season during the week, but weather conditions in the northeast put paid to Huntley's Highland League tie at Nairn County. Elsewhere, Keenan Nguenya lasted the full 90 for Kelty Hearts as they were beaten by a solitary goal at Station Park in League Two. Evan Towler played the full 90 as Elgin City went down by two goals to nil at Cowden Beef, Kevin Hanrati an unused sub for Elgin in this one. Sterling Albion's home fixture against Albion Rovers also fell foul to the weather, which meant no outing this week for Mason Hancock. Peter Head, well, they were beaten 1-0 at home by Airdrieonians, Ryan Duncan playing for just over an hour before being substituted. And finally, Dean Campbell came on for the last couple of minutes as Kilmarnock beat Wraith Rovers by three goals to nil at Rugby Park in the Championship. So, Fantasy Football Scotland. It's been a while since we've done one of these updates. Ah, yes, of course. <laughs> oh, I've had a fucking shocker this week. <laughs> Jesus, me too. Uh, Gav, I'll let you go first. Uh, 14 points. <laughs> You've still somehow beaten me. I'll say that just to be clear. 1-4, four, 14. Let's have a look here. So, Craig Gordon in goal. I think he missed the game because of COVID, I think. Uh, Carter Vickers... Spittle McGrath, who's gone. I've not replaced Jamie McGrath, who plays in England. And Boyce, who I think is on the bench. So, yeah, that's a lot of zero points. Um, yeah, not not good. You've still beaten me. 13 points. <laughs> uh, that's coming from the fact that I've got Xander Clark in goals, who didn't play. Zero points. Uh, Sean Rooney, who didn't play. Zero points. 
Paul McGinn, who didn't play zero points. It's starting to sound like a Great Britain Eurovision entry. <laughs> Furuhashi, nil point. <laughs> Beningame, nil point. Uh, Lewis Ferguson, one point. Kevin Nisbet, one point. Tony Watt, one point. Christian Ramirez, two points. Just a, an all-round shocker of a week once again. And when Graham's app eventually loads, he can tell us what's happening with him. Oh, she's opened up um, 26 points, which is horrific. But then I'd forgotten that we've got, uh, well, not normally you, Graham, but we've got Gary in the league. So normally when I say, oh, I've done really badly, there's silence on the other end because he's done even worse. So <laughs> uh, when I opened up 26, I thought that is so bad, although I'm pretty sure he wouldn't have got that many points and he didn't. You've doubled, Mike. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't wasn't a good week. Looking at the leaderboard, actually, for the league, 26 points is a pretty good score this week, it would appear. No one seems to be scoring particularly well. No, because I've stayed the same. I don't have a little green or a red arrow, so I think I've stayed in 149th. Yeah, so on the league, Jack Curran has two turkeys, 1738, big lead. Big, big lead now for Jack Curran. He's running away with this one, 1738 ahead of Oliver Curran and Old Kent Road in second place, 1609. And then Matt's Marvels, Matthew Price. This is a new name, I think. No, no, this, no, no. We've, we've had this before. Have we had this before? Yep. Oh, well, we've also we had this chat about whether it's a new name or not before. Have we? There, Deja vu, right there. I need to stop drinking when I'm doing these. Uh, well, he's, he's dropped down from uh, second place, so. Second place, so he has, and there we go. Uh, says it all. And our, I mean, our favourite, our pick. Gold, yeah. frankincense, and Gurr just sitting outside the top three. Yeah, uh, he's had a good week, 31 points, which is pretty high in comparison to most. He's only two points off third spot, seven points off second, so it's all to play for Stephen Brown. We're, we're willing you on, I think. I think it's fair to say. Let's move on. So next Saturday, it's the Sir Alex Ferguson homecoming game. Fergie's statue being unveiled on Friday afternoon. Big crowd expected for this one. Jim Goodwin's first match at home. Pro- let's, it's, it's really almost his first proper match in charge as well, isn't it? let's be honest. Not a bad baptism of fire for Jim, to be fair. Um, a near sellout crowd, hopefully, in front of the greatest manager of all time. No pressure, Jim. Not at all. United, uh, they travel to the Northeast next week with just one defeat in their last five league games. That was against Celtic. Uh, one win, three draws, and one loss in that period. They drew 1 1 this afternoon with Rangers at home. A pretty dogged second half defensive performance from Tam Court's outfit. Um, what, are we, uh, what are we expecting next week in the second of the visits of the, the Arabs to Petodre this season? Let's take a step back to the Sir Alex Ferguson statue unveiling. Yeah. Um, can someone explain to me, like, just why you would have an unveiling of such an important monument to such an ex- important figure of the club's history? Are we? Why are we doing the unveiling on Friday afternoon when a lot of people are at work and can't <laughs> attend it rather than make it like a lunchtime unveiling on the Saturday prior to the game? It's a valid question. I just don't feel like you're pitching at anyone... Got an so, like, is there is there like any like real logistical reason why they have why they would have to do that? I've literally got no idea. I, I don't understand it myself. I think it's a slightly odd thing to have decided to do, unless they just decided that because I think they want to do like it for. Are they doing it inside the concourse at the RDS? I think I believe so because you've got to get tickets, don't you? Yeah, and then they're gonna are they then gonna move this the statue outside? I think ahead of Saturday. I think well, I don't know. It's, it's gonna be positioned 
in front of the RDS, isn't it? Well, the back of the well, RDS, I guess. Back, then, well, yeah, outside. Well, the front of the RDS, you'd just be sitting on the pitch. Well, you know, move it, move it towards the goal area. <laughs> Playing some old tape recordings to maybe motivate the team. Well, <laughs> speaking of which, the team of the decade theme tune, a fucking banger that is, by the way. I completely forgot about it until I saw it on yesterday's Red TV coverage. Great stuff. And that's your question. I don't know. I can only presume because they're doing tickets for the thing. Maybe they feel that they can't do that and then clear people out in enough time to allow people in for this the game. I don't yeah, one of those yeah, just doesn't really I guess the ticket thing is the reason, but yeah, not really the in keeping with the spirit of the occasion, I would say. But yeah. Who am I? Who am I to say otherwise? Clearly, our invites must have got lost in the post from the club to the unfailing on Saturday afternoon. Um, in terms of the game itself, obviously, it's going to be a huge occasion. <laughs> I mean, Sir Alex better hope that well, there better be a decent game here, otherwise, he's going to be like, "What the fuck am I bothered coming up the, up the road for?" Does <laughs> um, that you know the gif of him when United get beat is a five 0 by Liverpool, and just as the that could be him doing a lot of that on Saturday afternoon. With that being said, I now do hope Jet gets on the game. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. What will Sir Alex make a Jet just for just for a return? Just for a return, I think he'll just feel a need to go down and just break out the hairdryer for one last time. Just gets up and fucks off. Gets Archie on like, the floor. We've got one more job to do, Archie. <laughs> with with thirty minutes, he just gets up and fucks off from his own homecoming thing. He's just like, nah, fuck this, not happening. Yeah, in, in terms of the game itself, what 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 are we expecting from um from next Saturday? United have kind of got it a little bit together recently, haven't they? Yeah, um, as together as anyone from Dundee can be. That was Gary Scott's views, not ours. Um, <laughs> it's a personal opinion he's presenting. Yeah, uh, one defeat to Celtic in the last five league games, uh, a win, three draws, and one loss, and they got a draw yeah. with Rangers today. Um, Drew Rangers this afternoon. Yeah. So in that way, Range United are officially better than Borussia Dortmund. What a horrendously disappointing turnout from the Germans on Thursday night. Um, I don't know. I mean, it was a it was a really spiky, aggressive, in many ways shambolic game at Tannadice. <laughs> it was the terrible um, led by led by the the man in the man in the middle that day. Can't wait to see him yes. on Saturday. I don't know if he's the ref, but I just I'm just imagine it will be. <laughs> it can't be it can't be Bobby Madden. They'd be trolling like fuck to give us Bobby Madden this week. But I'm gonna have to go and check this now. I'll let you keep talking. It's two teams that yeah got a lot of work to do, but they've kind of got together in terms of making us a little more difficult to beat. Um, yeah, I think it'll be an interesting game. I think it'll be interesting to see how we line up, how we approach the game. If we are very aggressive in attacking them, which is what I hope we do. Yeah, I'm not quite sure what to say regarding what I expect. Um, I'm just looking forward to seeing how... I think this will be a clearer indication of how Jim Goodwin is going to set us up, certainly from this point out till the end of the season. And I'm just interested to see what he does. Yeah, I'm quite looking forward to it. I'm not sure what to expect from the footballing point of view, but I'm quite looking forward to what will hopefully be a good home crowd You've got basically your new manager's first game to all intents and purposes. Um, I'm just hoping we get a decent crowd. Everyone, you know, in a 
I know I was a little bit sort of negative about the appointment, but everyone just gets behind sort of this new era of the football club and we can just play with a bit more aggression and a bit more intensity and a little bit more like people sometimes think being direct is derogatory or a bad thing and you shouldn't be doing that these days, but it's just going to let Dundee United know that they're in a game. And if that means we are maybe conceding possession a little bit more than we have done this season to to maybe with a view to countering them and you know sort of taking that approach to it rather than just trying to hold on to the ball aimlessly like we maybe have done before. I just like to see us play with yeah, just um probably intensity is the word I would use. Let's just really go at Dundee United and hopefully we get what will be a big crowd behind the team straight away and you know, even that might be enough just to get us get us a goal and really get us going. It would just be really good to be at a big home crowd when it's not one of them and you actually put in a put in a performance. So I'm actually quite looking forward to to the occasion. Maybe not the, the football might not be the prettiest 90 minutes, but I'm quite looking forward to the occasion. As you were saying that, yeah, I was just thinking intensity, the way we played them on the first league game of the season. That's what I want us to be on the front foot, take the game to them, put them under pressure and see what they're made of. Because I can see that their away record this season has not been great. No, it mirrors ours. They've only won twice in the road this yep. season. Only twice on the road. Yeah, that's a good point. We saw like the opening game, like Charlie McGrew's good example. Give him all the time. He's a good player. He'll ping a ball. But we were closing him down. He was just shanking it in the sand. You know, so don't let yep. their better players have any time on the ball. And that doesn't necessarily mean you need to be booting them up in the air. Just be in their their face. Don't be passive. And it might sound a bit daft when you look at the table, but I reckon we've got at least as good as, if not better, footballers than Dundee United. So if we can put them off their game, put them off their stride, and then we can capitalise on that, I reckon we've got a pretty good chance of taking the three points. I mean, what a turnaround that would be if you think take three points off one of your rivals anyway. But just getting that whole... Starting to build up a bit of momentum um, and a good relationship between the, the management and the fans. What better way to do it? And it sounds very easy, but let's try this week to not give them a goal. Not give not well, give the opposition a goal for nothing. So so two things, I guess, there. First of all, just while you guys have been talking, I was just doing my checks. The the appointment for the referee for next week's not been confirmed yet at the time oh, of recording. You, you can't but see him. We haven't had um Bobby Madden, referee one of our games since that fixture at Tannadice. We've also not had John Beaton since we played Sevco Iprox. Um, we're probably due one of them at some point. We've had the likes of Nick Walsh, who, by the way, on Saturday was just fucking horrendous. And we've had him a couple of times. We've had Kevin Clancy a couple of times in that period. So we're probably due. We had Willie Collum recently. We had Willie Collum against... Was he Celtic, maybe? Yes, we had Willie Collum at Celtic. Absolutely good shout, Graham. So we're due one of the Chuckle Brothers at some point soon. Um, <laughs> Can we get like a a hero's triumvirate of like Madden in the middle with Colm and Beaton running the line or something? <laughs> running the lines, yeah. Who knows? <laughs> Douglas Frost. <laughs> on the um, on the conceding goals, this is where United are really struggling this season. Um, they've only scored 22 goals all season. Tony Watt, who was obviously their big marquee signing in January, he's only scored one so far since joining. To put that into context, despite the fact United are sitting, I think, fourth in the table tonight, fifth in the table tonight? Uh, I want to say fifth. 
fifth behind Hibs on goal difference. Yeah, joint fourth. Yeah, um, with about yeah. twenty-five million different teams. Um, but only Dundee and St Johnson have scored less goals than United in the league this season. Um, so that's their that's 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 the area they're really struggling in. Um, which of course means we'll just give them one, um, or two next week. But they do have the third best defensive record in the league. They've only conceded 28 this season. And that includes the fact they shipped five at Tynecastle in one game, so which is obviously a bit of an outlier out there. Ten clean sheets compared to our four, I want to say. Uh, you know what? The number is so small, we really should know it off by heart. Four does sound small. It was, it was five in total under Stephen Glass's entire time. It's four, four in the league. So it is four, four in the league, which actually just nice. Graham, you're right. It strikes me as being a high number. Uh, one of them did come against United on the opening day of the season, I guess. So, Hibs, Hibs, St Johnston, St Johnston away, Johnston away, yeah. and another game, another game that happened. Done. No Griffith scored that day. Yeah. Uh Livy. Did we beat Livy two? Livy two 0 That's it. Yes. There we go. It's, it's, it's bad, isn't it, when you can remember the clean sheet games like that. Um, but And you also touched on, they're not great on the road, United. They've only won twice this season, which is the same as what we've done. Um, big crowd expected as well. Normally, we always shit the bed in front of a big crowd when it's an opportunity to try and like, get people back enthused and all that kind of good stuff. And with the goodwill, there'll be about good win um, going. It's just made for United to come up here and just shit all over it, isn't it? I hate to be so negative, but... Yeah, he's, he's stealing your gimmick, Graham. Yeah, I know. Get your own shtick. Sorry. I, I absolutely see where you're coming from. I just kind of hope that... And to be honest, even if that does happen, it's a week with the new manager. You know, It's, it's not enough time to say, oh, well, what's going to change? I mean, don't get me wrong, if we, if we collapse in front of a decent home crowd, as you're right, we tend to do, that'll be really frustrating. But I still think, to a degree, regardless of what happens on Saturday, it's too early to read into what Jim Goodwin's going to bring to Aberdeen, uh, which uh, I know is not where you were yeah. going. Um, I really just hope that doesn't happen. I think it's it's like any relationship, you know, you get off on the right foot, you know, strikers will say getting that goal early on really helped them push on, for example. So if Jim can get a, a win at home with a decent crowd that everyone gets to see, maybe there's a little, just a little bit more, I was going to say fight, but I don't mean players playing for the manager. I just mean guys... Maybe just playing for themselves a little bit more, just putting themselves about a little bit better and showing that, yeah, we're not going to get bullied maybe the way we have done in previous games. I think people can maybe, you know, that might be something that people can sort of latch onto uh, and take into the next game. But I really just want to see us get the three points. I don't really care how we do it. Yeah. As a squad of players as well, if you can't get yourself up for this type of occasion in front of, you know, the greatest manager of all time, Big crowd. Crowd will be up for it, hopefully. Um, I'm hoping that there'll be a good atmosphere. I'm absolutely certain the crowd will be up for it for all the reasons you just discussed. I'm sure the crowd will do their bit, so you kind of need the players to do it. And if, if, if that doesn't get you going, then Aberdeen's not the club for you. Yeah, um, and it's an interesting week in terms of the way the fixtures line up as far as uh, what we wanted to, what we want to achieve. I can see that Hearts, I mean, I do think third is still too far off, but Hearts' form has fallen off of a fucking cliff 
oh, Hearts are shit in the bed just now as well. If there was any other team in the league who was willing to actually put a set of results together. This is why you can't, you can't help but say, like, it's unforgivable that we are so far behind. I think I described them as a very, very average Hearts team last week. It's a poor Hearts team. I'm going to call it that. Yes. Yeah, There's I've seen Hearts teams the last 10, 15 years that would shit all over them. If they don't have Craig Gordon and goals, they are all over the yeah. shop. Yeah, completely agree. So like they're away at St. Mirren, who by that point might have a new manager in place. Same situation. They want to impress the new gaffer. And more importantly, Hibs are at home to Celtic and Motherwell are away to Rangers. So yeah, opportunities to really climb the league early doors and give some momentum to Jim Goodwin. And maybe, I'm sure we're not the ones that are I was going to say sceptical, that's not the right word. Um, not entirely enthused by his appointment, who will just then, yeah, get a bit more, a better feeling about things with a, a good win against Dundee United. It's a massive week because with, those, with the way those results, with the way those fixtures work out, you know, you're imagining Hibs will succumb to the uh, Celtic juggernaut at the moment who just keep on winning games. You imagine that Motherwell don't pick up anything at Ibrox. If we were to beat United, it would leave... It would climb to fourth. Yeah, we'd be in fourth spot, but it would leave us, Hibs, United, and Motherwell all sit on 34 points um, with, what, eight, eight games? No, not even eight games still split. How many games still split? Five. Point? Five games still split. And it's a huge game for us, actually, because our next two fixtures after next Saturday, are away to Hearts on the Wednesday night and then away to Rangers on the Saturday. So, you know, those are two difficult fixtures at the best of times notwithstanding the fact that hearts are fucking dog shit this season as well let's let's not even pretend otherwise it's just that everybody else is like a different breed of dog shit this season worse dog shit <laughs> white <laughs> white dog shit and, and I, I think i should point out as well that that does depend on what simmer's results are in midweek against dundee and against hearts yeah oh yeah that, that, that yeah mark mcgee will do us a favor um on, on wednesday night but yeah, it's a huge, huge game because I think that if we lose that, I think that you're then at the point of going, you know what, I think fourth is probably gone by that point. Um, I just don't see us at that point then picking up. With, our, with the fixtures we've got left remaining on the yeah. table. Yeah, I'll take that. I think you're right. Every week we get together and we, we look at it and it's like, oh, we could do this and results have gone our way and we haven't done our bit. It's every week rolls, rolls on and you're running out of time yeah. for the permutations to work out your way. But also... Every week that goes on and you don't get that result, why, if with five weeks left, for example, you're suddenly going to win five out of five and climb up the table? So exactly. I think you're absolutely right. It's if you it's kind of crunch time pretty much now for for that position, and, and I feel like you're probably right. If it doesn't work out in the next week or so, that's probably that's probably that. But bizarrely, the fixtures running in towards the split are just like with the way the league is at the moment this season. They're just like you couldn't call much of many of them, you know. Like on the Wednesday that we go to Tynecastle, United are away to Livingston. Livingston are, 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 are tough nuts to crack at the moment. They're not giving away. I listened to Dave Martindale after their uh, draw with St. Mirren yesterday. And he, I mean, if anyone thinks that Graham sounds suicidal on this program, you should listen to Dave Martindale after they've had three draws. Jesus, that guy, you know, Motherwell at home to Ross County. Ross County scored a lot of goals this season. The week after that, it's United against Hearts, Hibs against St. Johnson. St. Johnson's scrapping for everything. Motherwell Dundee again, Dundee are scrapping for everything. The week after that, United travel to St Mirren, Motherwell travel to St Johnston, it's Hibs against Aberdeen. The week after that, it's Hibs against United, Motherwell St Mirren. 
we're away to Dundee. You know, the games, they just... And then the final game before the split, United-Dundee, Dundee-Derby, that could be Dundee really trying to scrap to, to stay up. It's Hearts, Hibs, Edinburgh Derby, and then we'll travel Livingston. Like, the, the way the, the fixtures all work out, we could literally be getting towards the back end or, or going into the split, and none of the teams around us have actually still pulled away from us. It's fucking mental, the league this season. It's just crazy stuff. Anyway, that's hypothesising way too far in the future. Let's go back to Saturday. Predictions for the Fergie homecoming on Saturday against United. I think the final point, it'll be very telling the team that he picks. Because I think he'll have learned mm-hmm. a bit about the team from Saturday already. I know how a week of training with them. I think with the occasion, I'm going to go against the tradition of our shouting of said bed. I think we're going to win this game 3-0. 3-0. A Christian Ramirez hat-trick. I'm going for 2-0. Ramirez, because you've always got to have Ramirez. And Galker, just to annoy Gavin. I had 3-0 as well, Gavin, in my head, so I'm going to go 3-0. We're all keeping clean sheets. Ramirez double, and uh, Shente Bejauen grabs his first goal at Pataudry. Let's move on. And that wraps up part one of this week's show. Join us after the break where we bring you part one of our exclusive and in-depth interview. And it is in-depth this time. We've had to make it two parts because Mark Reynolds, lovely guy, but he can talk. And to play us out this half, here's Moody Moody with their new single, Sold, which was released on the 11th of February. And it's available in all your usual streaming locations. You can follow them on Twitter over at Moody Moody Band. Here's Moody Moody with Sold. It's nearly your birthday and I know that it's hurting You tease me, please me, now I know you're just flirting When it comes together, I'll be yours forever just to take home Standing here in limbo, waiting for the disco just to go home. Happy birthday, you're 30, you're cold. Where your life leads, my heart bleeds, you've been so. Qualifying for conversation Let me breathe your Smother me with your humdrum Stood here in the weather Hand in hand together Just the same sun Songs that came together We'll never remember How we came home Oh, what a mess we're going to make Just choose 
This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is brought to you by Hop Shop Aberdeen. As passionate supporters of the Dandy Dons, get yourself a 10% discount on an unlimited basis on your online order for the remainder of the 2021-22 season. Simply use the code ABZ Podcast when checking out to receive your discount. Visit hopshopaberdeen.com and get selecting from their range of over 500 beers for the week ahead. Welcome back to the ABZ Football Podcast. Time now for the return of our series of interviews with Don's personalities of past and present. This time is part one of a two-parter with a man who joined Aberdeen initially on loan in January 2012, going on to make 237 appearances, scoring seven goals in red. Part of the team that won the 2014 League Cup It's Mark Reynolds. And part one will take you all the way up to Mark signing a permanent deal with the Don's covers up to and including his loan spell under Craig Brown. Let's get to it. Mark Reynolds, welcome to the ABZ Football Podcast. How's it going, mate? Not too bad. Thanks for having me. Hey, not a problem. Hey, delighted to have you on this evening. And we're going to try and take a bit of a deep dive into your career. Uh, obviously, we're going to focus in on your time at, at Aberdeen, but let's go all the way back to the beginning. Born in May 1987, and you grew up in Muddle, is that right? Yeah, Muddle, born and bred. Yeah, so I, my formative years were all kind of, I used to say that if you took a I set a goal clubs to fall apart. You could have chipped a ball to kind of every major event in my life. So I was born, bred, educated, football career started in Motherwell. So I, they, they don't come more Motherwell. <laughs> and, and just talk to us a little bit about your bringing Mark. I mean, I think I'm right in saying I read somewhere that your dad was an ex-player and a coach, which will meant it'll be pretty difficult for you to follow with any other sport other than football, I imagine. Absolutely. So I, I've got two. So I've got kind of three siblings, two big brothers and a wee sister. And again, my dad was involved with Queen's Park right through his full career. Um, he done his he done his knee, um, kind of during his career, get his cartilage removed back in the days when it was kind of just butchers that went in and 
because uh, <laughs> I had the wrong slight pair, it was right, let's get rid of you. Um, so that kind of funny him, but he was always involved coaching, um, always involved. I used to, I mean, I used to say that. I mean, you've probably seen the press cuttings, the, the press, it was like a red drag to a bull when I told him my dad coached at Queen's Park and I used to train in Hamden every other night. So every time we got to a semi final final, it was like, oh, Rounds is back home, Rounds is back where he went his childhood. So he was, uh, yeah, he was heavily involved with football. So I was always there. I mean, I was young enough that I used to just kind of dodge along to training and kick a ball outside the park. And uh, yeah, I was always kind of always something done. And then again, having two older brothers. If I wasn't doing anything in terms of clubs of that, I would just go and train with them and, and go and kind of just kick about looking sad and lonely and hopefully they would invite me for a game and uh, <laughs> get involved in that. So again, my brothers were both older than me, so I was always playing a couple of years up. So football was always kind of a huge part of in my life. And uh, my dad was my coach right through um, from when I was young. Um, he coached me at, at, um, when I started out playing at Hibs, when it was kind of like before, but I always explain this to the younger boys because they have no idea how to pro youth and that always used to work so used to have satellite teams so Aberdeen had a satellite team down in Hamilton Hibs had a satellite team in Hamilton and uh, I played with them and then that all changed went to Motherwell and uh, my dad coached me there right through till I went full time at um, 17-18 and again as football loves uh, Gordon Young was the other coach that coached at the time he's now my assistant manager at, at Cove Range as well so but a full circleness in my right. career there. Started off with him and, and finished with him as well. <laughs> so I, so that, that was kind of my, my kind of upbringing and kind of just playing through. Played with the school team, was lucky enough to play with my older brother. He was the, the captain in P7 and I get drafted in in P5 and the P7 team and uh, kind of just played from there. And I was all, kind of always pro-youth right through, as I say, was at um, Hibs for kind of the first few years when that changed. Motherwell took over and played right through from my mother right through until they sold me when I was, I was 22 when I went down to Sheffield Wednesday. So, um, so growing up, who, who was your sort of boyhood club and your, your favourite player? So Motherwell, Motherwell were kind of my team. Um, obviously growing up in kind of the outskirts of Glasgow, it's, it's hard enough to avoid the, the old firm. And, uh, but I mean, as a boy from Motherwell, when, when you're getting free tickets and that, that's more than enough to sway you <laughs> to support Emdy. So uh, I used to go to the Motherwell games with my pals. Um, and yeah, just that, that was the team we followed. And we... Uh, we never got to see us winning much. Um, I think I was four, I think, when we won the, the Scottish Cup in 1991. It's a long time ago. Um, but, yeah, just always supporting them again. I was in the affiliation. You know, I was kind of always playing with them. I was in and about the stadium. Um, so, I, again, I just enjoy being a part of that. I enjoy watching watching them from the stands. And, and again, just having that wee kind of link of playing and always hoping to, to go and uh, play for the first team one day and, and I think when you're a wee guy you always hope that one day they'll be short a few subs and they'll just shout here jump on the pitch and, and fill in on the Saturday but alas that never happened but uh, I, so that, that was kind of that was always been my boyhood team and it's a team that I've always kind of supported and I think when you tell people from you're from down the road you support Mother they'll say but, but who do you who do you really support it's, <laughs> like, it's some kind of crazy cover up but uh, I that and again I think growing up kind of in terms of favourite players, I mean, I would say probably say James McFadden. Um, he was kind of breaking through at that time and was electric. I mean, I know I'm, I'm not a jinky winger like he was. I was a, a centre half, but I just love watching him play. And uh, again, he was a player who, when you watch from the stands of Fir Park, was was a lighting things up. I remember the game just before he was getting called into Scotland squads, and they were it was Betty Volks was the manager, and they were all chanting, "Are you watching Betty Volks?" I think he scored a hat trick. I think he might be in Livingston, and it was just that was just. Game McFadden in a nutshell that day, and then obviously he moved on to have the, the unbelievable career that he had. So he was probably one of the ones in that team that I, I kind of kept an eye on and enjoyed watching the most. Did you ever think about copying the rat tail? Uh, it was never something that, that kind of, I mean, that ginger hair was enough for me. Um, <laughs> I, was more, I was more in the Stephen Pearson mode of uh, just <laughs> back sides. 
So uh, growing up, were you always a defender or did you uh, start at the other end of the pitch and work your way back? I, I, I think a wheel journey, to be fair. I, um, I started, so as I say, when I played in the school team, I played centre-half with my brother. So I was left centre-back, my brother was right centre-back. So he was P7, I was P5, I was tiny. Um, in P5, I didn't start growing until first year. So uh, I would say my brother was just Ross. He was an absolute savage in the pitch. So he just used to kick lumps out every day. And I was just like the wee guy that was rapid and just ran about. And uh, so started at centre-back. And again, played there, played there right P5, P6, P7. So eventually when I was I was kind of a wee bit bigger and playing with boys my own age, I, was, I think I was the second top goal scorer from centre-back for the school, <laughs> which people often think I'm lying about. But um, I, so I was always a centre-back, played there then. Shifted out to left back when I was at Motherwell and Hibs and played left back right through my full youth career. Um, I was always a left back kind of right through, went in full time at Motherwell and uh, played left back and then actually made my debut at left wing. Um, Terry Butcher used to call me John Arnorisa. So we had, a, we had a technique at Motherwell where I had an unbelievable spring on me and was quick. So we just used to hoof the ball up to me at left wing. I would flick it on and run in and get it. And uh, that seemed to work for a few years. And uh, yeah, made my debut at um, Livingston. We won 1-0 when I played left wing. And I uh, was referred to in the paper as Danger Man Reynolds, which I've cut out and kept because it's <laughs> the only time I've ever been called that in my full career. And, uh, and then again, played there the next pre-season, come back and was kind of left mid. That was where I was playing and kind of, they'd kind of seen me being good enough to kind of maybe go in the first team and do something as a left mid. And uh, we went and played Annan in a pre-season friendly and I scored one and set two up. And again, Danger Man Reynolds was back on the prowl. <laughs> and uh, I just kind of potted away there. I think we then get an injury or something. There was a couple injuries in, in the, the reserve team at centre-back and I slotted into centre-back and played and, and done well and kind of progressed through there for a bit and then uh, eventually started playing centre-back for the reserves, started playing centre-back for kind of when I was training with the first team and I went away to Scotland, um, the under-19 European Championships come back from there when Morris Malpass was in charge at Motherwell and uh, we had like five centre-backs injured so I was kind of sixth in line played that played the game I think it was the third or fourth game of the season we'd missed the first few games I think it was a World Cup it was either the European Championships or the World Cup with the Scotland squad and I missed the first few games come back went in at left centre-back and played done well and then as I've always said that's, we, we played the rest of my career at Motherwell we had something like 210 games and I played 205 of them at left centre back, and that was kind of me. That was my career from there, and and I that was me a left centre back. So it was a, a strange journey. But again, it was when when we're training, I still enjoy going out on left wing and pretending I'm John Arnold again and, and whipping <laughs> balls in, putting them in a play for the strikers. <laughs> Stepping back to the touch to your youth career, you've mentioned obviously your father and Gordon Young being influential. But were there any other coaches, maybe Hibbs or Motherwell, that had a real influence on your career? Again, as I say, they were kind of my two, the mainstays. My dad was kind of my, my coach right through. Um, and again, was, was a huge influence. And it is always, it's still involved with Motherwell. Um, and was always kind of, again, it's, it's a hard enough relationship. I've got two boys now as well that, that are kind of dipping into football. And I think now I start appreciating just how hard it is to, to kind of separate that, being the dad and being the coach. And, and he always done it brilliantly. And we had a great relationship, kind of get great working relationship. And, and I say, as I say, I learned loads of it him. But, Again, I was I was very fortunate in my career when I went in full time. Obviously, Chris McCart was my, my my kind of first first team coach, who was a, a kind of Motherwell legend, won the Scottish Cup with Motherwell, had a great career at centre back, and then um, Terry Butcher and Morris Malpass were the two first team coaches. Again, Terry Butcher's one of the best centre halves England's ever had. Morris Malpass was one of the best left back Scotland's ever had. And then when when they left, um, 
Paul Hager to come in to assist Morris Malpass. And again, Hager is one of the best centre-half Scotland's ever seen, was was in that Dundee United team that was so kind of successful um, when they had their kind of period of dominance. So again, working under the guys was, was unbelievable, just having that experience and guys that have that pedigree that they're just kind of, you're getting to train under every day and they're just getting to drip feed you wee, wee kind of tips and tricks and, and kind of how they judge things. And then was lucky enough to come under a guy whose name is not as revered as it used to be in Aberdeen, Mark McGee. Um, come on, he used to be a legend up here. I think he had these, uh, he also had these, these period in charge of managing that, that ended in, in uh, that video that got leaked on social media. <laughs> um, but he was great. And that was that was the first time I kind of really walked under a striker of, again, a guy who had a great pedigree and a great career at Aberdeen and, and successful and won trophies. And, and for it to go from being coached under so many managers and, and assistant managers that were so defensive-minded and saying, we do this and we do that, to then have the complete flip of that, saying, you know, if I'm a striker, here's what I'm looking for and see if a striker, see if a defender does this, here's how I beat it and this and that. So, I, I can I just a great grounding for me and uh, and again lucky and then even with Craig Brown and Archie Knox come in who I work with Aberdeen and at Motherwell two guys who've had unbelievable careers and, and huge amount of experience so again as I say my youth career I was lucky it was kind of my dad and, and Gordon Young were, were there for the most part and the other managers kind of drop in and out but I had a great ground from them and then lucky enough to, to kind of my formative years in football to be work under some real kind of massive figures in, in their own right yeah yeah absolutely and if we then just step away from football for just like a split second. Hi. I'm going to be a footballer and don't you worry about it, mate. first team and if not if you'd not reached that level then you would the plan was to jack in and then go to university is is that correct that is correct i said i mean it's that sounds brilliant doesn't it? that's a great it's a great story it's like something we've been in a big hollywood movie and that's kind of that's the, the basis of it but that's obviously looking back from the last, like 15 years ago so i it was it was it was my i was going to study maths and physics um and i think that i think the lines get crossed because i so when i done my hires like five a's so basically, when the, the media found out about that, they were all over it, and they were saying, I mean, you could basically study it, and you could study medicine. I said, no, I could, but I'd, been, I'd accepted the Glasgow and um, Glasgow Cali and kind of Strathclyde, kind of the ones down kind of around about my area um, to go and study. So that was always a plan. They'd accept me, and I said, look, obviously, when I was kind of breaking through, you got a two-year kind of YT, it was called, kind of still the traineeship. And uh, I kind of said, look, yeah. I've got my exam results there. They'll kind of always be there. Um I'd like to give this a crack and see how we go on. And if I'm playing, if I'm involved, if I can see a future in it, then I'll, I'll go and play. If not, <clears throat> a lot of my pals will stay on to do a six year and then a couple of them took a year out. I'm thinking, you know, that's two years that they're going to lose. We would, we would effectively be going into uni at the same kind of age and I'm not really missing out too much. So that was the plan. Um, but as, as I say, my, my dad was, whilst being a, a huge influence in my football career, he was also he was a PE teacher and likely a deputy head. So he always kind of had that focus on, look, get your school, get your grades behind you. And, and once you've got them, then you can, if you want it, you can focus on football. So yeah, done all that and, and kind of got accepted at unis, went to the open days, went and saw where I would go and done all the kind of groundwork. And um, then as I say, mother will offer me the contract. They, they did offer me the contract the year before as well. Um, when when most of my age group kind of went in and I'd knocked it back. 
and said, look, I want to do my hires. Um, I'd, I'd like to kind of get that done. And they were great with me. Chris McCart was the, the kind of head guy at the time. He said, no, look, take as much as you need. We'll bring in and train as much as we can. And uh, yeah, so that, that's kind of how it panned out. I gave it 24 months and, and um, thankfully I was involved with the first team quite a lot. And it was actually quite strange because the year that I, I kind of said I didn't want to go in, put me a year back on the YT. So the first year I was in full-time training, all my kind of pals that I'd come right through with, they would all go and play with the reserves on a Tuesday and then kind of be off for Wednesday that. And that meant the boys were left, we would have to go and train with the first team. And so every Tuesday I was getting to train with the first team that started okay. start 11, which kind of worked in my favour because the manager was getting to see me competing against his best 11 and whole morning. And I think that probably gave me more exposure to the first team than if I'd been in at the same time as all my pals and was away in the reserves and you kind of just got lost in amongst that group of players. So, yeah, so started playing in and then, yeah, um, kind of just towards the end, it was kind of involved, was on the bench more often than not and just kind of waiting to make my debut. And then, yeah, made my debut in the May um, just before I kind of, like, before the end of it. I'd already kind of, they'd already offered me another kind of contract and I, I'd kind of done enough to think, you know, this is worth giving it a proper shot. So, yeah, so, so kind of within that 24 months, the YT had kind of, done enough to stay and, and get another contract and then, and then kick on from there. And you just spoke about it, Mark, there. I mean, I think it's two weeks away from your 24-month deadline, if you want to put it that way. When you make your debut away at Livingston, 3rd of May, 2006, uh, a game that Motherwell win by one goal to nil. Uh, you play for 18 minutes before you're substituted. Can you remember when you found out you were going to get a start, first of all, and what was kind of running through your mind as you actually got to take to the field that night? You know, I, I, I couldn't even tell you if I knew or if, if I couldn't know. If I didn't, I couldn't. If I didn't know, um, I don't think I don't think I did know. I don't. I think because it, it was a. I'm sure it was a nighttime game. Yeah. Or midweek. So I don't. I don't think when that back in the day, like back in the day, I sound like I'm about sixty-five. <laughs> uh, back when I was a boy, we uh, <laughs> we never named the teams. No, back then we the, again not even back then. Just different managers have got different ways of doing yeah. things. Some of them name the team. Some of them don't. Some of them name the team and then when they're getting hostile every week stop naming the team because that's the only reason they're getting beat because named the team 24 hours earlier <laughs> but uh, I had the, team, the team never got named so I was just kind of sitting there was a couple of us um, had been kind of brought up and me Bobby Donnelly made their debuts the same night and uh, I was just sitting and announced the team and it was just kind of uh, here's the start of the and that was it and just it's, and it's weird because I think when you always imagine it happening you're always thinking oh with this and with that but it's not, it's not as if like I always imagined when I was a wee guy sitting in the stand and be like, we need you, jump on, jump on, score a goal, win the game and that's it. But you're, you're there, you're so ingrained in it, you know them all, they know you, like, they're not just pulling you out of nowhere, they know you're ready and, and yeah. you know what I mean, they feel as if they can rely on you and you're going to do a job. So, they kind of, there was pressure there but it was more, again, back then, back when I played at Mother, I was, I was actually just thinking about this all day, like, it was just, I just, it was just the, the love of playing football, like, I just, it was just pure enjoyment. Like there was, and again, maybe this is unique to me or unique to certain players, but there was no pressure at Motherwell. Like at every game, I just went and played and just enjoyed it, just loved playing. And uh, that was the same right from my debut, just went on and just do as best you can and, and, uh, as long as you're on the game and just enjoy it. Because, I mean, that's, that was what it was all, that was a whole build-up to kind of playing. And uh, yeah. went on again, I, Danger Man Reynolds, is, I would like <laughs> to kind of, when you're putting out the preview for this, just refer to me as that all the time. Danger Man Reynolds, that's fine. Nailed it, not a problem. Motherwell finished 10th in the league and progressed to the quarterfinals of both Cups. I mean, were you 
pleasantly surprised by the fact you got so many so many appearances or as you've just said do you just did you just know that their Malpass trusted you it was weird. I mean, I, I got always all, all great with Mo, and I still speak to him. I used to see him at Dundee United quite a bit, just when I was there. Um, but yeah, I kind of went in and, and played well, and, and it was kind of, the feeling at the time was if you went in and done well, you would keep the jersey almost. It was yours kind of to lose. And uh, I went in and played well, done brilliant the first game, and then kind of second game done really well. And then, you know, we kind of put, it wasn't as much, as, it wasn't as kind of intense as the day. I mean, I always say that to the young boys at playing this. It's like, when I broke through again, father time here sitting, with all the years <laughs> experience but when I broke through there wasn't Twitter there wasn't Instagram there wasn't you know what I mean there probably was me bold like kind of fans forums and that, but there wasn't as much noise it was just yeah. the papers but the, the, all the papers were like Reynolds is this and he's that and the next big thing and all kind of that and and that kind of just snowballed and I done well and I done well and then I think it was kind of the fifth or sixth game I played they kind of I was getting linked with things and people were saying like next big thing, all this, the usual kind of headlines. And uh, I, I signed a new deal and, and Mo pulled me in and spoke to me and kind of said, look, you're kind of in now. Like, see if you have a nightmare next week, you're not going to get dropped. Like, you've earned that kind of spot. And again, as I said, I mean, you, you obviously look back at the Rose Tinty specs as well, but at the time, I was just loving playing and just being involved. And your debut season as well, I don't know if it's, People always talk about it, but I couldn't do any wrong. Like, I couldn't, any time I made the decision, it was the right decision. Any time I competed for the ball, I won it. Everything just went my way. And again, we weren't having a great season, which probably played out of my hands because everybody else was kind of struggling or we weren't hitting the heights we needed. And again, as I've kind of found out as I've got older, the older you get, the more experienced and senior in a changing room, you take on a lot more responsibility. You worry about a lot more things. You don't really just, in a selfish way in your room, you just worry about yourself. Just worry about your performance. Turn up, play brilliant, play rubbish, whatever it is, go home enjoy it, speak to your pals with it and that's it, done. Whereas when you're a senior player, it's like, you know, we need to get here and we need to be picking up these points and I need him doing this and I need him doing that and I need to speak to him and need to know what's wrong with him. So I was in that kind of bubble of just enjoying it, doing what I was doing and and I it just kind of snowballed and, and I, as I say, after I played four games, five games, six games and then spoke to him and I, I was just, I was, I was at that stage just always available, never injured, just kind of coasting through and, and as I say, I played more games than I don't think I missed many games that season and that was kind of from that stage on just kind of played for the, as I said Ella most of my model career I never really missed games I think I went a few calendar years but I kind of played every minute every game So that that particular season actually sees you get your first professional goals the first coming in a, a 5-0 win over Kilmarnock at Fair Park and the second in a 3-2 defeat to uh, United at Fair Park as well can, can you remember much about either of those goals? Danger Man Reynolds Aye, Danger Man Reynolds pops up again. Um, aye, it's all part of the plan. Um, just, aye, just back to my old left wing days. My first goal was actually a horrendous goal. Um, so we played Kilmarnock, we battered them 5-0. And uh, I went off for a corner. And I had to... So obviously we do set pieces and stuff, kind of, this is your runs here, if you're going, you have to do this. So my run, and I remember it, the only reason I remember it as clear as day was because it was an absolute shambles. <laughs> the uh, my run was to go from the kind of start in the pack, kind of outside the area in the D, head towards the front post, and then check off to the back area. So I've completely missed time my run. And as I've ran in and I'm checking, <laughs> the ball hit my knee, the knee that I was checking off, and went in the goal. And it's kind of turned and I with an absolute first goal, but brilliant and it looked great. And I don't even realise that <laughs> with, with no idea where I was and wasn't even looking in the right direction. So. And that was it. And then that was part of a, a, a 5-0 thumping. And uh, again, of a season where we didn't have that many great results. So it was, it was good to get kind of my first goal and and uh, do well. And 
in a huge game. And again, that, that just kind of added to the whole kind of illusion of how well I was doing, how well the club was doing. And it, it just kind of built on that season for me. So end of the next season, uh, Morris Malpass departs stage right to be replaced by a certain Gothenburg great by the name of Mark McGee. Now, Mark, we just want to ask you for your views on Mark McGee. And we're going to just sit here quietly and pretend that we weren't involved in nominating him the worst manager of Aberdeen's history. I, get, I mean, it, it's just different horses for different courses, I think they say, isn't it? Because Motherly was brilliant. Like, we, I mean, and again, it's hard because obviously he came in at Aberdeen and he'd done the same as he'd done at Motherwell, but he'd a different group of boys, he'd different players that suited us better. It was kind of, do you know what I mean? It's, it's obviously that management isn't one size fits all. You can't just come in and say, right, here's what I'm going to yeah. do. Whereas, not that he locked out, because he was a good manager and he had good ideas and that, but what he wanted to do suited us at the time. And also, he came into a club that had just finished 10th, just avoided relegation, but the skinny of wasn't playing well. But, I mean, the main strength of Muddle was we were a good group of boys, but we were willing and we were hungry. And, again, if he said, can I jump, we would ask how high. And uh, he came in pre-season and absolutely battled us. Like, it was the hardest pre-season I think I've ever experienced in my life. We went to Austria. and uh, Shit, how's we ask about this? <laughs> went to Austria and we were doing, like, triple sessions. Like, so we got up at like six in the morning, we wouldn't eat and we would just run. And I mean, I was still, I was still growing. I was still just a wee boy. Like I was actually dying on my feet. Like I, I didn't usually up till like, I lived just on the corner. So I would get up at like quarter to nine and been training for nine o'clock. <laughs> and it was like six o'clock up, like what can we eat? No, let's go. And we would just do like, do like mile runs along the river. Just run for a mile and then you do a body circuit and then run a mile back, do a body circuit, run a mile. And that was like, that wasn't even counted as a session. That was just like before we'd even properly woken up. It absolutely, I absolutely battered this. And then we do a session again in the afternoon, a session. And then again, the crazy, I always say the crazy thing at that was like, that was mental. And that, like, when you're young, you're just invincible. You just don't, nothing kind of gets you down. So there was like four or five of my pals that kind of come through that were involved and we came away pre-season. I was kind of the only one that was really playing and involved. But we'd do that and then at six o'clock we'd go and play tennis and we'd go like go cycle up the mountain and you're thinking like now at like 35 I'm thinking like what was wrong with us back then like couldn't move like ah this is hell and then so what a game of tennis I let's go and go and play five sets of doubles <laughs> in, in Overstrong and again you know what Mark McGee probably saw that and probably thought that probably loved that but that was our, that was our biggest strength as a team we were just the fittest team you'd ever seen we would just run teams into the ground and played some good football off the back of it. And again, it, it, they're meeting at the very start. And again, it, it's, it's hard as well because Aberdeen fans, as you well know, the expectations, do you know what I mean? There's a club with a very rich history, a recent history, you know what I mean? Which all you guys will remember of being very successful with Motherwell. We won the Scottish Cup in 1991. That was it. Like, we just kind of, we'd finished 10th the year before. So there wasn't that level of expectation or, you know what I mean? And when he came in there, and we started playing and he had a meeting at the start of the season with the defenders who went, don't really care about defending. He's like, my kind of theory here is if they score four goals, we'll score five or six. They score five or six, we'll score seven or eight. He's like, we'll just attack, attack, attack. We'll run teams into the ground and we'll beat them. And we did. We played some unbelievable football. Good players in it. But again, players that fitted the fourth three that you wanted to play and we just ran over the top of teams. And we went from the exact same squad that finished 10th plus a couple of players to finishing third, I think, fourth, we ended up getting into Europe. And he was, that was the start of the, the Motherwell kind of being a, a team that was in Europe. I mean, Motherwell have been in Europe for more seasons than they've not over the last kind of 10, 15 years. Yeah. And that, that was, he kind of laid the groundwork for that. And we went to Europe and then kind of had another few kind of European campaigns off the back of that. Yeah, Mark's time at Aberdeen is almost the inverse 
um, we went from third or fourth to ninth or tenth and went from, well, the idea about we'll score more than them, we just conceded a lot. Well, I watched that. I watched that in Flores United. And again, I was a kind of impartial viewer. So it was, it time with no kind of connection to Aberdeen, was just thinking he's in an absolute stinker there. It was, <laughs> it was horrible. Just you talking about the pre-season in Austria. I remember he must have taken Aberdeen to Austria his first pre-season here. He did. And there's an enduring image of, um, I think it's Derek Young and Gary McDonald dunked in the river, looking like they're having the worst fucking time of their lives. And just remember thinking, this isn't going well. This was like day one. It's like, this isn't this isn't started very well. And again, do you know what I think as well? Can I, not to defend him or anything, but just to kind of shed light on it as well. Like He obviously, it worked so well for Muddle. And there's yeah. nothing worse than, we had my Adam Anzapin at Muddle, Jim Gannon. And all he talked about was his previous team and how good they were. And and, and I think McGee must have done that. I mean, I used to get the boys' mother to do that. And again, when you're, yeah. re- when you're real living things, it's never a hundred. You can exaggerate and it grows arms and legs. So it's like, mother boy's done that. You need to run a, you need to run a four minute mile. Boys' mother doing it three and a half minutes. And like, they weren't. They definitely weren't. I mean, we used to, and again, I remember the year he left. He, uh, and I, I've, kind of, I've, kind of, I've since kind of got the other side of this story as well. So the year he left, he, he was obsessed with it. It was at Wolfsburg, he went to in, in Germany. Martin, who did Martin McGee? Um, Hamburg. Hamburg. So, he, but he knew was it the, he knew one of the coaches that was at Wolfsburg, and he was talking about them doing. They used to do 10 1K runs and 10 2K runs. That was their session. So they would do 10 1K runs, and it was like they used to run in sub four minutes, and they do 10 2K runs in something like something ridiculous, like seven minutes. And I remember we we at the time walking out and saying like, you could all that's like a marathon. It's like you could almost you could run. See what the session you've put out. They could run for four minutes, stand still for the rest, and run and finish a marathon in like under four hours. Is that like it's insane? He's like, no, that's what we're doing. So we done before he left us, we done one one k and one two k run, and boys were dying. And he made Aberdeen players do ten of them, and I think like three boys pulled up. Three boys got like hamstring injuries, like two of them threw up. And I was just I remember thinking, thank God he left. <laughs> Horrendous. I reckon that would have been Felix McGath. He was probably talking. To. Yeah, that that is that's who exactly it was, and he was obsessed with how fit they were and, and saying like. And again, obviously, I think something got lost in translation because the times he was talking about <laughs> were ridiculous. And I just remember thinking like, I mean, I hate preseason, and I'm all, I'm fit and I can run, but I'm not one of these kind of ultra runners that you get in, in teams. And I'm thinking like, there's no way I'm getting through like doing 20, 30 kilometers in a day at like four minute a kilometer. Like that's ridiculous. He's like, no, I'm telling you. And then we used to do another drill where you kind of, you would chase each other almost sprinting and you'd be like, ah, right, we're going to do that. How long would we do it for? And would be like, 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, obviously, we kind of knew, we saw him come in and kind of build up. And I think he's always just went to Aberdeen just like that. And he's always just said, we've done it in Motherwell. And they're like, oh, well, if they've done it in Motherwell, we'll, we'll try it. And then I think after a couple minutes, I thought, this is wild. Like, been that. That's uh, it's one of the few stories that you know makes me think maybe I don't want to be a professional footballer. I quite like the other bits that go with it, but uh, that might be enough to put me off. Nah, it's five pre seasons the worst time of my life. It's uh, it's especially when you again and these get managers coming now, it's, it's better with sports signs and stuff, but before it was literally let's just run them. I mean, we used to, when I used to run at Mother Hotel, it used to run as though somebody threw up, that was his metric for. They've done enough. It's enough. Uh, <laughs> and you thought, like, somebody please make themselves. We boys like, try to make themselves sick, like, with hands in the throat, just thinking, like, we need to get out of here. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll maybe wind back um, to your motherwell days. So, just sort of following on from you were chatting about Mark uh, in that particular season, 
you'd already mentioned that it was a good season for Motherwell and yourself. You made 44 appearances and Motherwell uh, actually see off Aberdeen to finish third, uh, qualifying for the first round of the UEFA Cup. At that point, were you starting, or is that the point where you sort of felt, right, I've, I've made it, you know, I'm a first team player, I am a footballer, and and that's me really pushing on in my career? I, I probably think so. I, I think it was kind of like, it just kind of got the, and again, as most things in life, it, it just kind of creeps up on you. you. You don't really appreciate it because you're just so in the moment with it. You just kind of take as it comes. And then, as I say, I've always kind of said in my career, I don't really look back as until the summer. Like, usually, you're just so caught up in trying to get everything done and, and kind of be successful and just contain and maintain what you're doing that you don't really have time to stop and think we're doing brilliant here because usually when that happens is you usually kind of blow up or you trip yourself up so probably at that stage of the summer you're looking back thinking no that was a great season and I couldn't really have done any more and just kind of keep doing what I'm doing and, and then probably that's when you're starting to think you know at club at Muddle probably looking at moving and, and kind of the next step in your career because I think Motherwell was always recognised itself as being a stepping stone in a club that you, you play with and then you do well and, and you move on to bigger and better things. That, um, the 2007-2008 season is one that, I guess, um, from other was kind of overshadowed predominantly with the, the tragic death of Phil O'Donnell. Um, he collapsed on the, the fur park pitch and towards the end of that 5-3 win over Dundee United. Now, you were on the pitch that afternoon, uh, Mark, and I don't want to talk about the incident itself, but rather just give you an opportunity, I guess, to reflect on Phil O'Donnell as a player, a man, and, and what was his influence on you in that Motherwell dressing room as you were making the breakthrough into the first team? No, so, I mean, I think everything that speaks for always talks about he was a model family man and a kind of model captain. So he's just, he was just kind of one of the guys that was just always kind of there. I, I really struggle talking about it still to this day. So it's it's kind of, it was horrible. Like, uh, just a horrible experience and something that you, you kind of, you not appreciate, but something that really hits you hard for the older you get. So just a guy, again, who's, ages with me now and it's a family the same as I've got and it's just something that yeah, it's, you don't ever want to experience but again kind of just changes your perspective on everything like just changes your perspective on life and just how kind of and again for me it was just something that again just makes you want to enjoy football more every time that you kind of when you're playing games it's just kind of how quickly it can all get taken away so yeah it was, it was horrible and again it was something that probably created that kind of bond within that squad that just made us you know completely unite and, and gave us that, that kind of steely focus to go and do well and and be successful for kind of in his memory and just kind of almost to honour him. So it was it was horrible. It was it was something and again something that we don't really speak about and something you kind of see every year. And as I say, something that the older I get, the kind of the more you appreciate just how bad it was at the time. Absolutely. So during the the close season, uh, it was widely reported that the the first Rangers had made an offer of three quarters of a million. Uh, for you, which Motherwell had turned down, and you were pretty adamant at the time that you you wouldn't really consider a move to either of the, the Glasgow sides, um, and were instead focusing on trying to get a move uh, down south. But first half of the season wasn't great um, for Motherwell. Things weren't going particularly well. But I think I'd read somewhere that you had felt the this particular game, uh, I think it was a defeat to Hamilton on the 20th of December, which was the fifth uh, defeat in a row. That was pretty much the lowest point of your career. Do you think maybe... Sort of speculation the summer had unsettled you and maybe sort of taking your your eye off the ball, if you pardon the pun. Absolutely, I think it does, and it's hard to kind of avoid. Obviously, I think as I say, your kind of first few years are almost a kind of free hit. Everybody's wanting you to do well and be successful, and then especially in Scotland, as soon as you get linked with the old firm, you almost become a different player overnight. And kind of expectations go up. You don't kind of get as much kind of allowances made for you, and, and you, I mean, you feel as though you're under the spotlight. You're almost all of a sudden in a complete goldfish bowl, and. Uh, 
it, football was always hard. And again, as I say, the first season, every time I, every time I made the decision, the pitch worked for me. It kind of everything came off. And then I think that year, obviously, it wasn't everything wasn't going as well. You we were kind of getting defeats, and and again, it, it was a lot harder. And again, off the back of the successful season we had, we were never target. Whereas before, it was kind of Muddle's bubble would burst, and you know what I mean. They can't sustain this, and we'll catch them eventually. Whereas now it was, you know, these are a decent side, and they've got good players, and and uh, everybody was turning up again. Much similar to when you're a, you play with an Aberdeen jersey on, everybody wants to beat you. you, you there's no kind of any free games, so it was, uh, it was yeah, kind of feeling the pressure. And again, you're not a young boy anymore. You're a guy that's played kind of 80, 90 games, and, and there's like that expectation. You've almost you all suddenly got a price tag on you. You're nearly a million pound player which was a lot of money back in the day and, and uh, yeah it's just huge pressure and, and as I say especially in Scottish football the, the top flight in Scottish football is so well covered they're, they're kind of they're filling kind of five ten pages of sport every day with it so um, they always had to make a story and, and uh, we kind of went through a rough time and, and it, it kind of got, I think at that stage as well after the Rangers thing it kind of got to a stage where I was kind of at the stage where I was going to move and, and there was kind of pressure every week was teams watching so it was always tough and, and kind of the media love a good story and uh, as much as they love somebody being successful, they also love the other side of people struggling or it not going great and, and they're the first to jump in that. So, yeah, it was tough, but again, it's a tough times it make you and kind of battling through that and getting through the other side of it and, and kind of buckling down and, and getting on and, and kind of forcing the move through. On the note of it being the lowest point, well managed to turn it round and end up finishing in seventh spot, you making 42 appearances. And then the following season, you make 46 appearances in total, scoring four goals in the process as Motherwell finished fifth under the management of Craig Brown, who had come in halfway through the season. Do tell us your recollections of Craig Brown and Archie Knox, maybe individually and also as a collective. I think Craig and, Craig and Archie are probably like great. I mean, I still see them quite a bit. Um, Craig's bait. I don't know if he's based up Aberdeen, but I see him loads. He's uh, he's always about. He's uh, not sure when this is not sure when this is going out, but we spotted Craig at the Ian Jess Alley Beg night last Friday. Right, yeah, he's out and about. He was actually he dropped one of my neighbours off, and uh, <laughs> he was in a car with five women, and that was just <laughs> classic, classic. <laughs> Craig Classic Brown. Brown. <laughs> and uh, I knew so a couple of the girls were away were Aberdeen and I'm really proud of one of them she texted you know we're just outside because I'd not long just moved back to the area and she's I'm outside yours if you're about come out and, and I'll chat so it was and it was like about half ten at night <laughs> so I went outside and this big black car's pulled up and uh, sure enough full of women I don't no expecting it windows down Mark how you doing Craig Brown <laughs> <laughs> Like it just it just perpetuates the myth, doesn't it? Of Craig Brown. And uh, I was like, Craig, how are you doing? I said, oh, usual company tonight, Craig. And he went, he's like, I'm batting well below average here, Mark. I've only got four of them in the car. <laughs> still, like, you know what I mean? He uh, he just loves it, but I, I still see him all the time. And he just he just I he always and Archie like Archie just used to battle me. He uh, and he always says that he's all. Archie was asking for you, was saying what happened to that goal and what about your position? And then I'm like, I mean, I've not worked under Archie for years and he's still critiquing me from afar. But now the two of them are proud. I mean, Craig was great. He was just kind of loads of experience. Again, almost just a guy that comes in to steady a ship and just kind of lay foundations and we just kind of very get back to the basics, the fundamentals and kind of get everybody working together and kind of, as I say, I, just, I mean, just steady the ship, get everything solid and make us really hard to beat. And while we wouldn't be the, the, the prettiest team in the world and, you know what I mean, making the fans wow on the fans every week, we would be solid and you would know what we were about and you'd know what to expect week to week. 
and Archie was uh, Archie was just Archie. Archie was was nuts, like but the best kind of nuts. And uh, I would just come in at half time. I mean, loads of folk tell the story about how he used to come in. Like, I mean, it's a horrible abiding moment having somebody, but Archie's after the game would get dressed from like so he'd go for a shower. He would just go for a shower as Craig was talking, and then he'd come out of the shower. We start getting ready, and like it's. I mean, you should. That's not how you should wear something. But he used to get ready by putting on his socks and his shoes, then his shirt and his tie, then his pants and trousers. But somewhere in between putting his, he would get his shorts and he would get his socks and shoes on, his shirt and tie, <laughs> then decide, actually, I've got something to say. And then he'd just stand up and start going mental. And he's completely naked from the waist. Well, not from the waist down, because he had the waist to the ankles. The rest of that, he's, he's dressed completely. And we'll say, we're all, we're all sitting down. At eye level, yeah. So and you're just thinking like, please just put your trousers on. That's what you're going to do Every like most weeks, he would do that, and it was just. And then that's like, it was mental, absolutely mental. And uh, I mean, he'd done that more often than not, but he was great. And he would go a lot of the times. He would be fully dressed, which was obviously ideal, and uh, was a much better occasion for all involved. But he would go nuts, like just, and he would just leave you without a name. <laughs> then you'd see him on a Monday and he'd be like, Morning Reynolds, how you doing? All right, how's the family? Not no hang up on it, nothing. And it was just as if it never happened. And it was and you know what I mean, that was brilliant. Like that he could he would he could have that out of you and it was it was never it would never hang over. But again, before a game, uh, like it was like he could read the future. He would sit and he would tell you how the game was going. He would say, like, right, here's what's going to happen today. And he would paint a picture of the two ways the game's going to go. And it was always, it was always, it would always go away. He'd be like, right. If you are up for it, he's like, we're better than them. He's like, we get better players individually. We're better as a team. He's like, if you are up for it, if you start the game right, he's like, we'll run over the top of these. He's like, if you don't, if you sit there thinking, no, we're better than them, and we'll just run over the top of them. And you just think it's about turning up. He's like, they'll get a foothold in the game. He's like, they'll get a wee bit of early success. He's like, they'll score a goal. Usually start to panic and we'll get beat. He would always paint the exact picture. And again, under Craig and Archie for a spell, it was always a ladder. It was always. He's a lot of panic. He's a lot of shit out of bed. And, 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 oh, no. and he's like, I told geez, I warned you at the start of the game. So, but I, the two of them are brilliant. And uh, I, I had a great relationship with both of them. We spoke to Carrie Arneson a few weeks ago and Carrie said exactly the same thing about what he liked about Archie was that Archie would dig you out. But it wouldn't be on a personal level. He would dig you out because he thought it was for the right of the team. But like you just said there, it would be then, it's done and dusted and move on. It wasn't like a vendetta thing. So... It's um, it's interesting. And the interesting thing is, well, you guys all got Archie when he was calm. Yeah, aye, when he, aye, when he wasn't in nuts. So imagine what he was like in the eighties. I when he was, I mean, he was a big, he was a big bit of guy. I think in the 80s, I think he just, I think he was a similar level, but it was just backed up. We would just bang you out in the changing room. I think he would just <laughs> get hands on you, and it would just be, let's see who's going to last here. So I'm glad I missed that because he was, was just some bit of guy. So we'll maybe change the subject from a half. Half naked Archie not shouting at you. <laughs> and, uh, I feel like none of us need that image uh, for any longer. Not so at this time of a Sunday night. Well, I loved it. I mean, it's just an image. I loved it. <laughs> so uh, in the summer of 2010, I believe there was interest uh, from down south that Swansea made an offer, which again, uh, Motherwell turned down. And you were in the last season of your contract at that point. Were you a little bit frustrated that you didn't get the opportunity to actually move on at that point? Uh, no, absolutely. I think and it, it was one of the, the at the time, but I was just happy to be playing. And again, when you're young and and I mean everything was still going well. I was still kind of doing well and still kind of one of the kind of prospects in Scotland. And 
playing every week and enjoying my football. And I was home. Mother was home for me. So playing with my pals was, you know, I mean, I was I was ten minutes away from training. I would could go out. All well, my pals were were local. I was comfortable, and um, but always wanted to kick on. And you've always got that thing as well in the last year contract. The power starts almost to to kind of shift to the players because you can kind of move under the freedom of your contract and and you don't need the club to make decisions for you or kind of hold you to ransom. So I kind of knew that it would be this it kind of be if it wasn't going to be the summer, it would happen at Christmas. And if it didn't happen at Christmas, then I could sign something and leave in the summer. So while I was frustrated that I kind of always knew I would leave, I think the biggest thing was that at a club like Motherwell, you, you always want to leave and and give them a chance to get something back. So the, the hope was always that they would get a fee because that's kind of the life by the Scottish football that teams like that need to produce players and, and they need to get sale on money for them and to keep themselves sustainable. So I always kind of wanted to move and I wanted to move for a fee. And uh, again, almost the, the kind of Rangers bid kind of was a bit of negative because it was at that time such a high fee and that was kind of the benchmark was set. But I think the, the rest of the world kind of collapsed that and the finan- also that was the time when there was the credit crunch and the financial collapse and I think obviously Rangers had their, their, uh, their money trouble, shall we call it. And uh, they never had the same kind of money before that they had before that. So it was just kind of that was holding me back. But I can always knew I would move. And as a young guy, you don't see the negatives. I think I've missed it. You're always thinking, no, something will come and I'll get it sorted. So that was kind of always my mindset from, from day one. And Craig Brown eventually resigns in December 2010. Um, he takes a half-dressed Archie Knox up to Aberdeen to try and sort out the mess that um, had been created by the, the former Motherwell manager as well. And uh, come 16th of January 2011, Motherwell accept an offer of around 150 grand plus some add-ons from Sheffield Wednesday. For you, which sees you bring to an end your time at Motherwell, um, having made over 200 appearances in the first team scoring six goals. You signed a three and a half year deal with the Owls who were League One, I think at the time. First impressions of your new club when you first got down to Hillsborough? I just, I mean, just completely different. A huge, huge club, Sheffield Wednesday. Um, just as, again, as I'm going from Motherwell in a small kind of provincial club to Sheffield Wednesday and uh, Sheffield United, two huge clubs with massive fanatical followings. And I think even in League One, we were getting 21, 22,000 every week, which was a massive difference. Just, I just enjoyed being down there and, and at a club that I could see a progression with, at a club that was going to go through the kind of levels and, and a club that I could stay with and go into a successful career. Um, obviously Alan Irvin signed me and kind of told me the plan and then got sacked two weeks later so that kind of got the plan out the window and, and Gary Megson came in we'll come up with that in a minute <laughs> so yeah but I just I mean down in training and you've been involved and, and again just feeling that you, that you belong and, and that you know I mean you, you can like comfortable that I could compete at that level and uh, excited that I was going to have three and a half years to kind of make a stamp and, and kick on the next stage in my career you'll have to clear this up for me Mark who decided to give you squad number seven the kit man, he just again, <laughs> was, obviously he's obviously read the papers and good Danger Man Reynolds <laughs> get him in, tricky winger. So I, I he just kind of obviously the signing, and they said, Look, we've only got like seven left, kind of in the 118, or it's like four. And I says, Look, I'm I really don't care, I'll take it in because I'll just give you seven then. I'm like, Crack on, and uh, <laughs> running to seven, I'm thinking, like, This is the weirdest number I think I could they could have possibly gave me. Call it up, Cantona. Uh, legends of the game and then just Danger Man Reynolds they, they were going to print that in the back here, but it's too long it's too, too long to take over Reynolds I'll tell you what it's, it's nowhere near as bad as when Dundee gave Berra number 7 for that that's true that is true uh, so yeah Mark as you've just mentioned you make your debut in a 2-2 draw against Yeovil at Hillsborough a week after signing and then Alan Irvin the manager who's brought you in is dismissed and he's replaced by Gary Megson um, so you know as a new player you know 
first time in England, huge club at Sheffield Wednesday. What's going through your head when yeah, the manager who's brought you in has been dismissed and now there's someone with a, a completely different idea of how he wants his team to play? No, I just I just thinking this was not part of the plan. This was not the kind of vision <laughs> that I was sold at all. And uh, as the kind of weeks and months went on realising that we could probably not have replaced him with a worse son manager for me as a player. And uh, I just thinking, get me out of here. <laughs> so he was, I mean, he came in, he just wanted, he wanted his full back line and probably two sitting centre midfielders to be at least six foot five, six foot six, which I was not and was not going to be able to do, was not be able to grow like six, seven inches in <laughs> a month. So just not interested in anything. Uh, I, and he just, again, trained and kind of played away and went to see him and just wasn't interested. Like, I mean, was brutally honest. Like, what do you need me to do? Nothing. You're just not going to play. And I was really? like, I don't know. Aye. And I says, look, well, I'd rather get out and get on loan. He's like, that's fine. And um, I won't stand in the way. So, and again, we do well in training and uh, we want his better performance in training. Not interested. We've done that. I was like, because again, there is times in life your face just doesn't fit. And I know people say that and you're always saying, no, but you can kind of force it in. Like, we've done a pre-season day and again, this is me who'd been kind of bathed in the bloody Mark McGee's, look, I'm going to turn you into an Olympic athlete. So, I mean, <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't the best runner, but I could run and like, I would never stop. So we'd done a session in the morning. It was 30 players in the first team squad. And it was like, we'd done, it was like eight, say eight 400 metre runs, eight 200 metre runs, and then four 1600 metre runs, and then two 2000 metre runs. It was ridiculous. It was just, it, it wasn't, a, it was just a run to break people. So we'd done that. And the run finished, and he's like, ah, nah, rubbish. He's like, if we want to get out of this league, if we want to win a championship, we need we need to be fit on that. He's like, we're coming back out in the afternoon. He's like, we're going to do every one of them again, and you're going to beat your times. He's like, if you don't beat your times, you'll never play for me. So he's like, oh God, this guy's an absolute lunatic, which I think I already kind of know. <laughs> and, uh, but again, I've been involved in football. I'd come across a few of them already, and I was like, look, I'll, I'll be there. Like, And either I'll beat my times or I'll collapse in the grass doing it. So went out to and again, this was probably the difference between Scotland and England the first time I could seen it. The boys were just dropping flies. So we went in to get changed, and boys were like, nah, not for me. Physio, hammies type, groins type. So 30 yeah. has done it in the morning, 80 has turned up in the afternoon to run of the full first team squad. So we're out just kind of warming up and making sense like this, like this is a this is a character run. This tells me every man you know about players. He's like, when we're in the trenches in December, he's like, use the boys I can turn to, use the boys I know that when the when the cards are down. Use boys will turn up for me. So be like, I'm thinking, well, perfect. At least he's kind of sort of, the guy might be nuts and uh, no got on at all, but at least he sees that. So uh, we've done the warm up and he's like, right, he's ready to go. And we're like, we're well, as ready as we're going to be. He's like, go home. He's like, we're never going to run. He's like, I just want to see who had the balls to do this. He's like, now I know, know the characters. <laughs> Six years that turned up, never kicked the ball for him. Spinned <laughs> us off completely. And I was thinking, like, what happened to that big any given Sunday speech that you've done? <laughs> <laughs> Hell week of pre-season. Like, absolute nonsense. So I, and I was just thinking, at that point, I was thinking, like, this guy is an absolute idiot. So I, let's get out of here and, and uh, try and kickstart my career somewhere else. Yeah, so, um, wow. Um, I don't even know where we go with that. I mean, I guess then you get to the January window the following season, I suppose. And was that then you you were pushing, I imagine, at that point to get out on loan and get some game time? No, absolutely. Just and again, the thing, and again, not the gamble you take, but when you're down in England, when you move the first, you need to do well on your first kind of couple of seasons, or it's almost just like, nah, I wasn't ready. And, and the kind of the manager changing who'd who become the new manager almost straight away put me kind of fighting against 
the tide and was never going to turn and uh, just needed to get out, needed to get, get playing games and um, Craig Brown was obviously up at Aberdeen at the time and uh, kind of knew the situation, knew the player that I was, knew what I was getting um, as much as Archie Knox liked to batter me, kind of saw me as a player that would, would do well for Aberdeen and would uh, kind of bolster the, the squad at the time and uh, phoned me and asked me if I fancied coming up and, and uh, coming along for six months and seeing where that could go. Did you have interest from other clubs at that point or was the, the call from Craig and the relationship you had with him and Archie enough to make you decide that Aberdeen was a good a good option for you? There was a few there was a few options, um, a few kind of options. I think I, I was out I was over in Austria doing grass. I went over there for a week. They were playing Champions League, doing well. Um, I went over there and trained for a week just for something different, go and play a kind of different type of football, a bit of culture, something different from the usual kind of path of just going down England and bouncing about there. Um, a couple of kind of lower teams in England, again, that never really suited, and then a couple of kind of calls in Scotland. But as you say, just knowing Craig and Archie, and, and again, probably the experience I had with the manager in Sheffield Wednesday, realising that, you know what, you can actually get a manager that can just kill your opportunity stone dead. So to go somewhere where it was a guy I knew, a guy I knew I could trust, I knew what I was getting, and knew me, that that was more than enough to say no. And again, going to a team the size and stature of Aberdeen, which I probably never really properly appreciated until I was there and wearing the strap and kind of involved in it, that was just almost too good an opportunity to turn down. So yeah, it's January 6, 2012. It's announced that you've signed a loan deal until the end of the campaign with Aberdeen. And it's straight into the action for you. A debut in the red against uh, Forfer Athletic in the Scottish Cup, a 4-0 win at Station Park. Uh, notable for a goal from Don's luminary, Mo Chalali, I have written down in front of me here. Um, what were your initial impressions of the quality of the squad you had joined? Again, again, it was a good team, good players, and just kind of that. I mean, I was lucky or not lucky enough, but involving the Motherwell team that finished tenth, avoided relegation, kind of almost in the last day, um, to then go the next season and finish third. So I kind of knew that you could have a group of players that, that you could get playing the right way, and, and once you get them playing for each other and and create that environment and that kind of putting good kind of the right the right kind of training the right ideas and the right work rate and ethic and if everybody buys into them you can you can be successful so, you know there was, there was enough kind of building blocks there to think this club could be very successful and, and again Craig Brown kind of recognised that as well so no it was uh, like just again the, the overing feel we was just happy to be back playing and back involved in it um, I do remember that after the game we done um, some video analysis on the kind of Tuesday of the game and Craig put a clip in and me getting the ball so literally the ball came from right back into me at centre back and then I passed out to left back and that was it that was the clip and it made no sense and he paused it and he's like what do you think about that clip and I was I said I have no idea I says that I don't know like just play the thought he's like watch it again and he paused it he's like look at that you've got tape I tape on outside of my sock like keep my shin guard up he's like that makes you look small he's like don't ever do that again <laughs> I was like alright I think I was like a joke he was deadly serious and he pulled me off me. He's like, I don't let any of my players tape outside their socks. He's like, takes one or two inches off them, makes you look smaller. He's like, next time tape, make sure it's under your socks. And I was just thinking, like, well, that's a level. And he's like, he says, I mean, he says, I dropped a guy in the World Cup because he wore cycling shorts. He's like, you know what cycling shorts means? You're injured. Like, just wild. Some of the stuff he done was crazy, but that was it. I so that was me. Stop taping my socks, and I've never done it since. I was going to say, ever done it since, no? No, because Archie was obviously backing them up, just growling at me, so I was terrified. But uh, <laughs> Half naked. I, like, that was just the level of detail he was at, and just the kind of, that was the way he wanted his squad run. And like, even when out training, Rusty was obviously, Russell Anson was the captain, 
everybody to wear the same as Rusty. So if Rusty decided he only wanted to train in shorts and socks and bare-chested, we'd all train shorts, socks, <laughs> bare-chested. So it was just like, it was weird. And again, that kind of, again, that obviously, I know it sounds crazy as well, but that always brought that kind of togetherness and unity. And, and it's, and I mean, Craig's been about the game so long and he understands the kind of, we kind of simple things that can make such a huge difference. Did Craig also insist you all had to run in at halftime? Aye. Off the pitch, aye. That was aye. Craig as and well. Again, aye. Again, just wee, wee things that he picks up and it's just like, and it is like, as a player, when you see teams running in, you're thinking, these aren't even like bothered at all. I used to have to run in. There was loads, loads of wee things, and yeah. he, again, he's fingering everything. Even the kind of what would go out to the media, and I mean, I mean, I don't know if you ever Craig in this, but when he used to do the media, like we could get battered, and they would ask him a question, and Craig would not answer the question and just take them on like a merry trip of like five stories that no sense, nothing <laughs> about the game, and they'd all just be smiling, going, "Craig's a great guy," <laughs> and that was it, done. And as you think, that is like he's like a master there, like. Just, uh, just his experience and, as I say, just the wee things that he would do was... And again, as I've always said, Craig, kinda, for, when Derek McInnes came in, Craig was the one that laid the foundation for that squad and kind of made the signings. And it was largely the same squad that was there that then Dale took on and kind of kicked us on to be a kind of bit of a force for the next few years. Yeah, we'll, we'll touch on that in a minute. Um, you just touched on it as well, Mark, about the fact that uh, Russell had returned to the club for his second spell in that January as well and it took him a little bit of time to get up and running uh, from a fitness perspective but you partnered him for the first time as I recall in an away fixture at Inverness in April 2012 and, and you and Russell went on obviously to form a fantastic partnership over time and even you know Willie Miller himself started to make comparisons between yourself and Russell with him and Alec McLeish what was it do you think about Russell's game that complimented yours so much and, and vice versa? I th- I, again, I think I think we're kind of main qualities were almost what the other one didn't really do. Always, I was kind of, I mean, Russ still hate me for saying that, but I was the quicker one. I was rapid. Like, I, and that was always my game. Like, I was always just quick. I think people don't, people never appreciate how quick I was. Like, and again, people, even when I was at Aberdeen, they always used to say, we need to just sign like a, a quick centre half. I'm thinking like, I'm the quickest in your whole squad here. That means you're quickest centre half. You're quickest player. And, uh, <laughs> So I would, I would, I was quite happy covering. Russell was a lot more dominant, physical. Russell was great in the ball as well, and, and was quite composed. And again, something that probably I'd like to think kind of rubbed off me a bit as well. And we we would play a bit as well. But he was more dominant, preferred to step in, be tight. Kind of, I mean, he was an absolute beast. Like he was an always. I know he did and stuff, but he was an absolute specimen. And uh, he was quite happy doing all that. And kind of, or, and again. The players you play, we always learn for. He was always big and organised and talking and moving players about. Something that I feel as though I've got better at and, and do quite a lot as well. And, and I'm good at talking. And uh, we kind of played off each other. It wasn't as though I felt as though because he was been dominant. And then he goes, "Well, you know, I can do that." And because I was coming, he thought, so we, we both kind of complimented each other kind of very well. And it, it just worked. We, we both kind of strengths that complement each other and the weaknesses the other one had, the other one kind of balanced out because they were good at it. Well, that's exactly what you know. Willie always says about him and Alex as well is that he used to send Alex up to go and do all the the headers and get broken noses and everything. Willie would just step back and sweep everything up. But that's exactly what it was about. It was strengths and weaknesses complementing each other perfectly. And yeah, hey, I'll tell you now, Mark, you certainly didn't have a complaint from me about your rapidness um, at centre half. It was um, certainly got us out of jail on a few occasions, as I recall. So. No, it's good. It's good to know at least one or two people remember it. But <laughs> like, it'd be nice to have somebody that was quick. And I'll just like, what did you watch the games? I find that bizarre, especially considering some of the centre halves that were in before you who were 
horrendously slow. Let's let's just say that. So um, never mind. I've just got to bring it back to another teammate of yours in that time. So we had the pleasure of speaking to Carrie Arneson um, a few weeks or a couple of months ago. Now I actually think about it. And Carrie's Carrie described himself earlier in his career, particularly his way of getting into the team <laughs> was to just smash his teammates that played in the same position. And he didn't really make too many friends for himself uh, through that. What was uh, what was Kai Arneson like uh, in the dressing room? And it, I got on great with him. And again, probably because I don't I don't really tackle. I don't like tackling. I've never enjoyed tackling, which is maybe strange as a, as a centre-back. But I was more <laughs> into the old interceptions and just kind of boosting about and trying to just shadow box everybody. And uh, I, he, he was he was nuts, Kai. Like, he was just... And he, again, similar to Archie, like, he would cement somebody in training or do, and then come in and just speak as though nothing had happened. Um, but again, I was I got when I first went to golf quite a bit and carry golf, and we would golf most kind of Tuesday or Wednesdays together. So I got quite close to him and got on great with him. Um, and I got maybe got to see his lighter side, but he uh, he obviously never saw me as any danger. He was obviously right sider and I was a left. He's thinking like <laughs> he'll alright. But as I say, anytime he was on one of his one man ranking sprees, I would just stay well clear and kind of <laughs> walk about the outside and just let him destroy the rest of the team. Uh, very cool guy, very good player as well. We can all say. Um, that season it's not much to write home about in terms of the league form but the Scottish Cup gives us some uh, memorable moments a last minute win at Palmerston in the fifth round courtesy of a late late Andrew Constantine goal and then Aberdeen make it through the quarterfinals against your old team Motherwell uh, beating them well, I think two goals to nil I think Rory Fallon scored uh, two goals one of which was an absolute worldie and then that sees us through to the semi-final against Hibs at Hamden so then we have to kind of talk about this one uh, Hibs get an early goal through a Gary O'Connor um, finish, which, to put it politely, I think it was a result of some pretty bizarre goalkeeping from Jason Brown, from what we recall. Can you remember what's going through your head to lose such an early goal in, in such a major cup semi-final? Okay, I, I, again, I don't have that many. I think probably just the bad result. I just kind of try and block out. But I do remember, because I remember after game Craig going mental at Jason Brown about his performance and just basically saying you kind of cost us the game. But I just went the time thinking this is the last thing you need at this kind of a big game like that to lose a goal in the manner you lose. You're just thinking like, it's hard enough. You want to just get a foothold in the game and grow into it. So I don't remember the kind of specifics, but I just remember the end of the game, Craig going absolutely mental. And uh, I not been happy because I, 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 I don't remember. With the other goal, I don't think he covered himself in glory with that either, I think. No, not especially, no. It's not a surprise. I'm pretty sure that was Jason Brown's final game for Aberdeen that day. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, so I was again just one of these things. Again, these things happen, and, and again, people come up to Scotland and think it's going to be easy and don't realise the pressures. And again, people come up to Aberdeen and don't realise the size of the club and don't realise yeah. the history. And we always just say, I mean, the good thing about Aberdeen is the history's in the walls. Like you're walking through, going to lunch, going to the gym, going up somewhere, and it's the pictures are all over the wall of proper teams winning consistently. Guys who kind of had unbelievable careers, guys who, well, other than that, who were still kind of kicking about and you would pass in corridors and stuff. Neil Simpson, Jim Layton, put all there, do you know what I mean? And a lot of guys kind of almost get spooked by that. And uh, again, going to Hamden and it's full and this is kind of what Aberdeen's always been about, winning trophies and being a game away from potentially getting back to Hamden to win the Scottish Cup. Some guys kind of don't step up and, and you almost get kind of caught in the headlights and when you, again, when you, you need to have everybody fine and when you get a goalie that, that kind of, that can happen to you, it's, it's, it makes it much harder. Just on that quickly, Mark, were you the kind of player that you would get inspired by that history around you? Because I remember for a while that there was a lot of managers at Aberdeen who insisted on a lot of those pictures being taken down, for example, 
because they found that it was too intimidating for the squad at the time. No, I, I, no, I did. I loved it. And again, I always used to say, like, the only reason I want to take down is because I'm getting one put up. Like, yeah. I want to be there. I want to win something. I want to be remembered for winning a cup. Like, if one of these pictures is getting removed, it's because we've removed it because we've got a trophy or been successful. So, no, I loved it. And again, loved the pressure. Loved the big games. Like, I always loved going to Hamden. I always loved when the pressure was on. Loved playing the old firm. But again, it's it's not for everybody. And uh, again, especially Aberdeen, it's it's unique. Aberdeen's a unique club because it's a one kind of one team city. Even geographically, where it's located, it's you've got other kind of teams down the road. But everything's quite close. Aberdeen's on its own. I mean, I used to remember when I was younger. I used to think Aberdeen and Inverness were right next to each other because it used to take <laughs> three hours to get there on the bus, the youth team, to get to games. So I just assumed we just went straight up. And then it wasn't until you got up here like, no, you're pretty much on my own. And the whole kind of mood of the, the city at some points feels as though it, the barometer for that is how Aberdeen are playing and how Aberdeen are doing in the league, which is hard for people when you can't get away from it at all. Yeah, that's quite interesting to to sort of get that take from you because, you know, as fans, you've got that sort of slightly different point of view. And uh, it's quite interesting to know that even someone who's grown up, you know, in Scotland, not that far away, playing from Motherwell, is aware of Aberdeen, obviously, but doesn't really necessarily understand what it's actually like to be there. It's also quite interesting to hear maybe that's that's not quite for everyone. Like you say, people think, I'll come up to Scotland, go to Aberdeen, that'll be fine. And then they realise, actually, this is, this is quite intense and isn't really what I thought I was uh, signing up for. So it's always good to to get a sort of an outsider, you know, an outsider's view, if you like, um, of what it's actually like uh, playing for Aberdeen. We just go back to that, um, the cup game, the, a worldie from Rory Fallon, which I think you could maybe claim an assist for. Absolutely. Gets Aberdeen, 100%. Uh, <laughs> gets Aberdeen back into the game, you know, and everything was kind of pointing towards um, it's Aberdeen that should win it, but a late goal from Griffiths. Um, unfortunately, Caesar's missing out in the cup. I guess you probably kind of discussed this, but your sort of recollections, memories of the game overall in the mood in the dressing room afterwards, other other than Craig Brown and Archie Knox being furious, I guess, was just a real sense of sort of blowing it, an opportunity missed. Absolutely. No, a huge opportunity missed, I think. And obviously, I think the boys that have been there a lot longer than me obviously feeling it a bit more because that is the kind of obviously the first time they maybe had a real chance at it. Or we'd, I mean, we were going all right. We were playing some nice enough football in the cup. Like we were good enough to go through. We were good, again in the cup football, if you can put a performance string of points together, you're good enough to win it. And uh, I just, I just real disappointment that we worked so hard and you kind of do it, you kind of get to the semi final against the Hibs team who at that time won. You know what I mean, it wasn't as if you got into the game thinking, oh, this is going to be an uphill battle. We had a, a real good chance of getting to the final. So to go out, as you say, the manner we went out and even take the goals out aside, we didn't play that great. That wasn't as if we kind of felt as you know the two goals have completely killed us and if he'd kept the clean sheet we'd have run over the top of them we kind of just kind of never really made it or never really made it as big an occasion as it should have been the game itself was just kind of like that though the Hibs yeah. didn't really do much either that day I know they really took the kind of game with the kind of scuff the net and kind of said no we were going to make it it was just kind of we almost just kind of lay down a wee bit and was like we'll make it slightly easier for you than you're going to make it for us so it just I just disappointment kind of was, was the kind of main feeling the, the league campaign kind of peters out, Aberdeen finishing ninth spot. Um, but for you, <clears throat> on a personal level, it's 21 appearances in your loan spell. You definitely impressed the Aberdeen support. And as you're heading back to Sheffield at that point, Wednesday have parted company with um, your nemesis, Gary Megson, and uh, they've stuck Dave Jones into the seat. But they've won promotion to the championship. When you went back there in the kind of close season, was there an indication from Dave Jones that 
there would be a chance for you to play or was it going to be very much a case of the guys have got me up or the guys I'm going to stick with? So again, Dave Jones was great. Um, he kind of spoke to me when I come back. He said, obviously, you've been up to Aberdeen, you've done well. He says, I've got my squad, as you say there, I've got my guys that kind of brought me up. Um, he says, you're not kind of my first choice. He says, but you're here, you're under contract. He's like, you've got a pre-season to impress me. He says, if you're the best player in the position, he says, you'll play. He said, so go and kind of do what you do. And um, if you're good enough, then you can play. And I'm thinking, perfect. That, again, that's all you want. It's just an opportunity. It's a fair crack at it. And uh, I never saw him for the full of pre-season. I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm meant to impress this guy and he's never seen me. So we had done pre-season and it, I, I remember because it was the, must have been the 2012, the London, was it London Olympics in 2012? Yeah, that's right. So they were on as we were doing pre-season and he just watched the Olympics. We would come into training, he would go up to the canteen and watch the Olympics and he would come down for five minutes. I remember one day he's like, he's like, they're doing that horse dancing. He's like, unbelievable. And I'm thinking, I'm like in your first 11 here letting you not watch me <laughs> for five minutes. So uh, he was just going to never there. We played pre-season, when the squad was huge. When we played pre-season games, he would have two games. So he'd send one team to one, team to one game and another team to another game and he would just go between. Okay. And by by design or just by accident I, he was never at the game I played in <laughs> so he would mix the squads would always get mixed up and he would always pick the other game and I'm thinking like he's I'm, like he's gave me an opportunity but he's never actually seen or had any kind of influence on what I do so uh, kind of done pre-season started playing games wasn't really involved and I went and I just said look I says we had a great chat at the start of the season I says but you've not seen me at all like what what's happening here and uh, he's like, look, no, I know. And that's just, look, he's like, that's just football. And I mean, I, I says, look, I'm not, I says, I'm not here to my goal. Yes, I'm just literally saying, here's what was said. Here's what's happened. If you don't want me here or that, I'll go. And he says, no, look, 100%, you can stay. But if you can find something else, he's like, I wouldn't stand your way. And I know you want to play. And I haven't seen you as much as I would like, but it's a long season. I says, no, look, I, I says, I'd rather just go and play um, somewhere. And then he was like, to me, he's like, I think Rangers might take you. And I was like, all right. He's like, two seconds. He picked up his phone. Don't know who he phoned it. I can't remember who was the manager at the time. Alan McCoy, something maybe. And he's like, he's like, eh, I've got Reynolds here. He's like, you need them. Do you need us? No. Right. To your, the nah, Rangers don't need you. <laughs> I was like, that's great then. I says, so that went off five seconds. And uh, he's like, I mean, what are you think? And I says, well, I'll see what's about. I says, to be honest, I says, I'd happy to go back to Aberdeen. I says, I enjoyed it there. I says, I enjoy playing, get back, just back playing football. It's a big club. Um, and then it's, it's a team that's it's got like and at that time I mean it's easy for me to say now as though I was like some sort of profit but you could see there was you know what I mean they were getting out of that kind of not there was better players coming they were kind of getting building blocks were getting put in place to go on and, and kind of be more successful than they'd been so I says look I'd happy to go up and, and uh, he says well look speak to your agency if you can make it happen and, and thankfully the kind of six months that I'd had there and speak to Craig and doing well they, they were more than happy to get me back on loan yeah, uh, you, well, you mentioned there that you could see them, you know, sort of signs that uh, the, the squad was was being improved. So Craig Brown made um, a couple of really good signings there with Johnny Hayes and Niall McGinn. Um, so what were your first uh, impressions of Johnny Hayes and Niall McGinn when you, you arrived back on loan? I get just, again, just kind of a wee bit better, maybe not disrespect the guys there, but just that wee bit of quality that we needed, just something different and kind of, again, Johnny Hayes and Niall McGinn, the first few years at Aberdeen were match winners. They were the guys that, and then eventually when Rooney came in, that front three, they were the guys that were kind of getting at people, creating assists, creating chances, creating goals. And uh, again, just almost like he was made, just he, again, Craig was, was very shrewd and knew what he was doing and, and he likes to play off as if he's kind of just a nice guy and kind of goes along with the flow. But 
he's very, very sharp and he knows what he's doing and uh, everything's done for a reason. And uh, well, the guys he brought in were kind of exactly what we needed at the time. And as I say, just gave us that bit of an edge and, and almost an identity because before that, it was just kind of we were playing. You weren't really sure how we were going to score or how we were going to break teams down. But when we got Niall and Johnny, it was almost like, get the ball to, get the, ball to the two of them and they'll make something happen. And, and again, when, when you've got players like that in the wing, players get attracted to them and it opens up space and, and through the middle and you can then break the teams down easier. So it kind of changed the whole dynamic of the team. And then again, I think, was it to be Adrian in the, the January or was he later than that? It was later. Uh, I think McInnes signed Rooney. Really. McInnes, yeah. Yeah. But again, I, Johnny and I were, were, uh, were very good signing. <laughs> I was at a dinner with Craig because Craig obviously signed me and he signed Russell and then Johnny and Niles. He, I mean, he signed a few guys that went on and done well for Aberdeen for a kind of a good period of time and I've been sitting chatting with him at a table at a dinner that he was speaking at and he was telling the table no that was a great signing and he was a great player and you know really important for that and then he went up to the dinner and there was maybe four or five hundred people there and he was talking about and then he started speaking about who his most important signing was for Aberdeen he's like no this guy and he's this and he's that and I'm thinking some guy Craig like sat in the audience <laughs> and he's just bigging me up here he's like I mean we wouldn't have had the success we had without him and I always say he was, he was the most important signing ever made forget about your guys that were creating chances or scoring goals like he was a guy that I built my change you know he's like Russell Anderson what a guy <laughs> I was like cheers <laughs> Craig no I said again back to your Johnny and Niall they were uh, Johnny and uh, Niall they, they were just that wee bit the kind of difference that we needed and then again that you start saying players like you start attracting better players and better quality and, and you just slowly kind of building that and get to a team that that is that is kind of better than what it was yeah, I mean, just talking through that squad now, I mean, yourself and Russell, you're continuing to build on that understanding you developed in your first loan spell. Russell Anderson, he's getting his fitness back to proper levels of match fitness, and he's able to play most weeks. Now, I'll begin, he was playing as a striker, that role primarily, and he yeah. hits the ground running. He eventually finished the campaign with 21 goals across all competitions. And speaking of goals you get your first goal for the club and it's a, it's a fine Maisie run and shot from 18 yards against St Mirren in Paisley. Talk us through that one. I think it was a goal of the week in Sky Sports as well. It was, uh, I, I can remember Archie just uh, Archie shouting, but the first moment I took a touch, he's like, pass, Reynolds, pass the ball. <laughs> and uh, I just went and I wee, wee Maisie in the pitch and uh, I, there, was a, there was two cameras at the game, one at the side and then one behind it. So the one at the side <laughs> Like take a heavy touch and the boy lunges in, get it through his legs, and then kind of chop past somebody else. None of this, I mean, I'm making this sound like it was under control. This was just like reacting to stuff happening. Chop past him, get past next defender comes out, kind of almost tackle Meg him, and then opened up, and then I have a shot. And from the side angle, it looks like I've just smashed it, like curling it at the top bag, and it looks unbelievable. And that was the only angle they used in Sky. Sky, I don't remember the day. I think this is perfect, and. uh, then the club obviously the angle from behind it where it's like you can just see it like absolute cannonball and through <laughs> and then again it breaks and as I hit it it hits the defender and like deflects <laughs> and it's just like you just like they've ruined the whole goal but uh, no it's still still one of my better than my my, my first goal for Motherwell where it just hit off money at least here I was actively trying to score the goal you just always want to show the kids the side on view now, don't you? Uh, I mean, I've, I've, I've uh, emailed YouTube just saying, can we take the other video off? <laughs> <laughs> just to break cheese the terms and conditions. So, uh, side on. And then it was nominated for goal of the season. And then the media team put both angles. And I was like, you've absolutely, you may as well just take me out of the running because you can see it's a deflection. <laughs> um, 
in December, I think of that that year, it became kind of public knowledge. I think that the Dons were looking to make your move permanent, and eventually, end of January, um, you're released by Sheffield Wednesday and signed for the Dons immediately on a four and a half year deal. I presume at that point in that December and in that January, you're kind of now encouraged by what you probably see as development in the team in terms of the guys that are being brought in, the club's starting to go hopefully in the right direction. And that encourages you to, to, to sign on permanently. Absolutely. Again, and as I say, can you come into the city and you see the size of the club and you see the fans and again, you see the potential there that if the club is doing well, that if, again, when I was at Motherwell and we started getting into Europe, we were getting 5,000 and when we were doing well in Europe, we were still getting 5,000. But as Aberdeen, when you're doing well, the, the gates do start swelling yeah. and people come back. And as I say, there's a buzz around the whole city. And I mean, you'd go to the gym and you'd see people in the street and they would all come up and speak to you and say, you know, the team's going well and great performance, great result. And the, that whole buzz of just the city, as I say, just feeding off it. So, no, it was, it was, I was back playing, enjoying football somewhere I wanted to be with a team, as I say, with, with kind of players now that were coming in that were of a good quality and a calibre that were attracting better players. And, it was a, again a place where, as I've said before, the building blocks were all there and it just needed us as players really to step up and, and start performing on the pitch. And that wraps up this week's episode of the ABZ Football Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Please remember to like, subscribe, follow whatever on your podcast player of choice. Join us next week for episode 33 where we'll review the Fergie homecoming game against Dundee United in the presence of David McGregor, aka Broken Chanter. We'll have our usual look at our loanies in Loan Watch. We'll see how the women's team got on in their fixture against Motherwell before we turn our attention to the league doubleheader as we visit Hearts and Mordor. We'll then round things off with part two of our exclusive interview with Danger Man, Mark Reynolds. We look forward to seeing you then. Stampy. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast was sponsored by Hop Shop Aberdeen. Visit them in the store at the West Hill Service Station on Strake Road or online at hopshopaberdeen.com to browse the finest selection of craft beers in the northeast of Scotland. Remember to use your discount code ABZ Podcast when shopping online to receive your 10% discount for the remainder of the 2021-22 season.